Welcome to the latest episode of Guaranteed Audio, the number of which I'm not even going to bother trying to get out there. We get it wrong so often. I'm Kevin James, joined by my colleagues, uh, Neil Cicerega, Ryan Murphy, Dan Hamilton. Uh, and yeah, we figured before the holidays wrap up this year, we'd get together and record a, a quick and dirty podcast. Uh, for those of you who aren't initiated, we are Guaranteed Video. We make short films and random internet content together whenever we get the chance. And yeah, this is I don't know what, probably our fifth or sixth Christmas season we've made podcasts. We never really do Christmas shows. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, we did our Christmas music video special four years ago, three years ago. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, anyone else have any new business they want to get out of the way before we get into the rest of the show? Do we begin with media current? Probably, right? Yeah. <laughs> Media Current is where we talk about media and art we've all been consuming lately, uh, whether that's, you know, a movie, a book, a video game, some chewing gum wrapper we read off the ground. Um, let's start with, I don't know, Dan, let me throw you under the bus. What media have you consumed lately? Uh, around this time of year, me and my wife, we watch a lot of those like Hallmark Christmas movies, mm-hmm. um, particularly on Netflix and I'm not going to talk about any of those. I thought about it, but I'm going to talk about <laughs> Godzilla Minus One because it's something that's actually good. Um, no, we saw Godzilla Minus One a number of weeks ago. In uh, the theaters? Yes, in theaters. Nice. Cinema Salem, Salem, Massachusetts. Hell Please yeah. go there, support local theaters, fucking AMC. And what was really great about it is when I went into that movie, I grew up with a lot of like Godzilla on VHS, so I, I, I'm, I'm fairly familiar with the franchise. I've went into... The 2014 Godzilla by Gareth Edwards, Gary Edwards, Gareth, Gareth. <laughs> Gary Edwards, <laughs> old Gary Edwards, uh, pretty excited. And it just didn't really deliver for what I wanted out of what that movie was sort of claiming to be. Yeah. And I thought Godzilla minus one kind of filled that role. Like 10 years later, it was a very strong story about post WW2 World War II Japan. Yeah. Um, did a lot in terms of, you know, uh, talking about patriotism, talking about sort of the darker side of post-World War II Japan in terms of, like, information uh, suppression, in terms of, like, the dangers that were happening at the time or what was actually happening with the country, all set to the backdrop of, oh, by the way, Godzilla's here. And it was fantastic. Um, the music in that, the score was great. Um I'm going to keep things brief and I'll just say, go recommend it. I don't want to talk about it too much because I, I really do think it is one of the better movies that came out this year. Can I ask a very shallow question about of the course. movie? Um, how does it look like not aesthetically, but like the production value? Because all people keep talking about is, oh, this movie only cost $15 million to make which is legit, like a tenth what your average blockbuster costs, if not less. So if you think about like an average Japanese Godzilla movie, like he's yeah. not in it that much. Yeah. It is mostly a a human drama. Um, and everything for that looks great. That said, when Godzilla is on screen, 90% of the time, I think he looks great. His introduction actually made me kind of like jump in like both fear and joy. It was like a jump scare. But I'm like, oh shit. Oh wait, that looks really good. Yeah. Um, there are a few scenes that are a bit jank, but like I'll kind of give it a pass because Godzilla to me, especially when it's coming out of Japan, has always had that nice veneer of uh, schlock to it, which yeah. I think is kind of carried over into this CGI Godzilla they're doing with this movie. Uh, it's a good scale. Uh, there are some parts, of course, where 
a bunch of people get stomped on by Godzilla and you, they all fly up in the air like rag dolls and it doesn't <laughs> look that great. But I thought that was kind of amusing. But sure. I think it looks good for if they said 15 million, I didn't realize that it definitely uh, has a polish to it that I'd even say some larger, bigger budget Marvel movies might not have. So, yeah, no, it's a very aesthetically pleasing movie in my eye. And uh, if you're listening, fact check me on that 15 million number. I, I saw it getting tweeted a few times uh, last month and it's, it shocked me because that movie's whole story, its claim to fame is it came out in very limited release. It had like, it was in like 500 theaters or something. And then within a week, it was put into like 4,000. It was like a full mainstream release because the word of mouth spread so quickly and. Yeah, the return, the ROA in that movie must be insane. Because 100%. I mean, everyone yeah. in the theater was having a, a blast. Um, people were cheering. Cool. People were screaming. People were crying. Like, it's very rare you go to movies these days and get those when they're not canned yeah. like a, uh, a big budget blockbuster. Yeah. So that was a very kind of rewarding experience to kind of close out my, my movie going experience this year. I got to see that damn movie. So you get... It's Godzilla minus one is in no way related to any other canon, whether it be Toho canon or the the really dull American Godzilla. Yeah, Kong no, it, Skull it, Island. No, it's it's its own thing. It ta- it kind of does almost like a retcon of the original Godzilla movie. So it's it's kind of like let's retell that story. Let's shift it back to immediately after the war. Yeah, uh, they don't like delve into Godzilla's origins. Godzilla literally just shows up and they go. Shit, that's Godzilla. We heard about him through like word of mouth, <laughs> kind of like this movie. I heard about him in Sunday school. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then like when Godzilla gets his powers, it's like literally like a quick montage of like, oh, hey, they're doing nuclear testing post-World War in the Pacific Ocean. And you kind of just see a quick flash of like Godzilla getting some rays and then getting some cancerous growth and cut to it doesn't matter. We're moving on with the story and then we'll see Godzilla again and he's bigger and he's got atomic breath and it's great. Nice. Cool. Awesome possum. Um how about you, Ryan? You got anything good for Media Current? Well, Godzilla and King Kong, who have another rather dull Millie Bobby Brown universe movie coming out in the not-too-distant future. What a good segue, because team, have I got apes on the mind. <laughs> so, I, I'm i really excited. I, I like the modern Planet of the Apes, the trilogy with Caesar passing away, spoiler alert, and the fourth one coming out soon, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, inspired me to go back and rewatch not just the original Charlton Heston as Taylor, Planet of the Apes, or the sequel Beneath the Planet of the Apes, where Charlton Heston is there for about four and a half minutes at the beginning, seeks underneath, dare I say, beneath the Planet of the Apes for the atomic mutant men. <laughs> and another actor who looks a lot like Charlton Heston, but is clearly like cheaper and looks like he was a lot easier to work with. Uh, <laughs> then by the third film, because again, these, these are from the late 60s and the 70s. My media current is Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Now at this point, Zira and Cornelius, the <laughs> chimpanzee husband and wife or boyfriend, girlfriend, for those who might be less familiar, <laughs> repair... One of the two spaceships, whether it be Taylor's from the original or other actor who looks like Charlton Heston from the sequel, they, along with a third ape, travel backwards in time to the 1970s America, where they become kind of celebrities. Again, the third ape exists long enough in the film to explain, we've traveled backwards in time, bam, shot, done. So we can spend, I gotta say, the makeup effects 
when you've only got two apes, mm-hmm. two talking characters, much better than when you're trying to get a whole team of extras. A whole planet. A planet, dare apes. we say. The milieu <laughs> of the apes. Now, it's not until the later acts of the film that... Because uh, here's the thing. In Escape from the Planet of the Apes, which is borderline a schlocky comedy, it's it's absolutely wild that they've gone this far removed from Rod Serling's like the world turn upside down Twilight Zone episode stretched into a feature length film, all the way to the atomic nuclear men of the sequel who worship an atom bomb and destroy the world at the end. They destroy the world, and yet there's a third one. Actually, there's five in the original version before we get to the Tim Burton verse, but this one is the first one where they where we introduce the character of Caesar. That by the reboot, by the, dare I say, much better movies, Caesar is the leader of the ape folk, the ape people, the planet <laughs> of said apes. I'm not I, imagining Dan Rathers tweeting about the ape folk <laughs> the, with folk capitalized. <laughs> there's a delightful, by like the final act of the movie, we meet Ricardo Moteban, who Ooh. some of you might know from, of course, Naked Cod. Freakazoid. I was gonna actually of bring. Course. I was gonna bring up the Star Trek movies because do you think uh, Star Trek Four was inspired by the Apes movies? Like, how do we like how do we spin this in original way? Oh, why don't we go back in time in quotes to modern day America? No, because they did that enough in the original series. Yeah, yeah. they yeah. cut some corners there. Unwhale related, if I may. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Because after that, it gets really dark, and it's clearly an analogy for like race riots and social uh, un- social disruption in America. And marginalized folks like going like, if we don't get uh, justice, we're going to get revenge. And it gets dark. It gets very dark. Uh, before, the, by the fifth one, they ran out of money. Mad Max on a, on a budget. Um, but yes, Escape from the Planet of the Apes. What an ape-tastic ride. That's, that's what I got. <laughs> I, I didn't realize um, Heston was in the second one. For at the very beginning and the very end. Did meaning he... that he probably wanted more money. And they went, we can make this movie without most of you. Is it like a video transmission from Apified Earth or something? Like, how does he show up? I assume he doesn't take a spaceship back. No, he's still on the planet of the apes. Okay. The, the non-Taylor, Charlton Heston, but like more affable and younger and more, you know, clearly kinder to other people around him. <laughs> um, is He's there on a rescue mission. He's there to find the, the astronauts from the original planet uh, of the I apes. See. Okay. So when he finally finds Taylor at the end and the atomic nuclear men. Are those movies like... Having never seen them, I've only seen the the, uh, the new ones, the ones by um, Matt Reeves. Um, are, are are they worth it to go back outside of like cultural curiosity of like, oh, I, I want to expand my media literacy and see these. Are they actually good? First one, yes. Yeah? You can skip the other. For, for media literacy, just for like tongue-in-cheek references things, the first one is the best shot. Has yeah, it's honestly the cinematography in the first one is kind of interesting. Sound design's kind of cool. The ape makeup is for for the time, it is what it is, and it was uh, the height of what Hollywood could possibly do. Uh, no, and also Rod Serling was only attached to the first one. Yeah, if you need a good quick laugh, you know how Variety does those YouTube videos where they bring actors in and they have them talk through their most well-known roles. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, they did that with Paul Giamatti, and I was listening to that yesterday. While I was doing some yard work. And every time in one of those videos, they cut to a new movie. They have the actor say the name of the movie and then the character they played. So it'll be like Arnold Schwarzenegger going, 
the T-800 Terminator 2 or whatever. Like, yeah. Whatever. Paul Giamatti, John Adams. So I've listened to so many of these. I wasn't prepared for this. It's so funny. It's going through the timeline of notable Paul Giamatti performances. And then it gets to the MoGraph for Planet of the Apes. And then you just hear Paul Giamatti off micro. Limbo? What's Limbo from? And a producer goes, <laughs> Planet of the Apes. He goes, oh yeah, the ape's name was Limbo. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I'm so glad they left it in. But, That's um, great. But yeah, then, the, then I, Paul Giamatti in the interview talks about how his agent, when he got asked to do the movie by Tim Burton was saying, you, you need to play a human being. Don't, don't play an ape in this movie. Like play a human being that's in the very first minute of the movie or something. Like just tell him you're not going to do it. And apparently Paul Giamatti is like a huge fan of the old movies. Oh, so that's he's like, cool. So he's like, no, if my career crests and this is the only big movie I do, I'm playing one of the apes. And they, they apparently gave him the best special effects makeup person because he had the most complicated makeup and it got done. And apparently his makeup was do doable in like two hours, which was insane compared to um, Tim Roth and everyone else. Who's the big, yeah. But Michael Clark Duncan is the gorilla. Who's the big bad? Is it Tim Roth is the big yeah, bad? Tim Roth, yeah, he's the chimp. He's the asshole. Yeah, oh, Helena Bonham Carter's the other. Yeah. Lead. She, I always her, think it's Gary looks terrible. I always think it's Gary. <laughs> I could see that. I could see get conflating yeah. that. And his father, the dying chimp played by Charlton Heston. Yeah. I've never seen that movie. It's bad, right? Yeah, it's no, bad, that's not worth revisiting. I hate Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> yeah. The effects are uh, like the, the makeup is like worthwhile. Yeah. Hey, so good segue. Yeah. Mark Wahlberg ruining a beloved franchise. Uh, yeah. Can you think of another franchise he's tied to, Kevin? Yeah, my media current will be the video game Max Payne 2 because uh, as of this recording, uh, James McCaffrey had has passed away, I think it was about five, six days ago. Uh, and for those of you listening at home who don't know who James McCaffrey is, uh, he was 65 years young. He was an actor, did a lot of TV, a few movies. Uh, but for people of a certain age, he was most importantly known as Max Payne in the three Max Payne games. Uh, he did the voice in all three games and he did the physical likeness for Max in the third game, which I loved uh, that he did that. Have any of you played a Max Payne game other than just watching me play Max Payne at some point? No, no. Certainly never finished, but have I dabbled in it? Yeah, of course. Do I do I know the character? Absolutely. I was pretty bummed. I, I woke up that morning and, you know, I do the thing everyone does. You look at your phone just to see the headlines. And the first headline was James McCaffrey, known for Rescue Me, Sex in the City, Max Payne games, has passed away. Um he apparently just did like a tour de force performance in Alan Wake 2, which I haven't played yet. Um, but I guess he's all over that game. And um, he was in control as well. He, I thought his performance in control was really cool. We're old enough now that I, I think we, I have to give context for this. You know, in 2001, I want to say when that game hit shelves, like on PC and PS2, I think the original Xbox got it shortly after. That performance in that game was unlike anything else mainstream gamers had experienced because it's a third-person shooter. Yeah, you jump around in slow motion shooting mobsters and stuff and uh, predominantly at night in New York City while it's snowing. But it was a voiceover. The character was supposed to be kind of like in your head. So if you played that game with headphones on, there were some cool, clever uh, writing tricks they came up with. You know, Max would be like, oh, I noticed that door was now open, like that kind of thing. It's like a very film noir kind of narration style. In doing that in a video game with good voice acting and good like storytelling chops, which Sam Lake had brought to the table, the writer of those games, those first two games did, it was something very special. Uh, 
particularly at the turn of the century when video game technology was rapidly evolving. Like 3D games had finally been like solidified. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about a time where classic, like very, very big franchises like Resident Evil and Silent Hill 1, uh, big games, big sellers, but even for like that industry standard, voice acting and character. Laughable. In the, it, it, yeah. Yeah, laughable is the word. Yeah. That that was it was just okay to have bad acting in a very big hit. Even something like Metal Gear Solid is like so easily parody a bull when it's taking itself super seriously. And then it have Max Payne like, no, 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 we can do this right. You know, for teenagers who were very excited at the time to play competently designed 3D action games, which were still a new thing circa 2000, 2001. You know, this is when like the GameCube and the PS2 and you I'm know. also picturing, you know, a famously silent protagonist, Grand Theft Auto 3. Or Half-Life or whatever. There wasn't a lot of, like, decent main characters in these games. Max was not only in a fantastically well-made game on a technical level, but James McCaffrey, for those three games, is constantly talking to you, saying things that are riddled with humility and self-loathing and self-reflection over, like, I'm just another guy shooting people it was the first time I experienced thick meta writing. It's very Twin Peaks. It's very post Metal Gear, right? But um, McCaffrey just nailed those lines. And uh, I've read interviews with him when he said, you know, he said things like, I lack the ability to appreciate video games. I'm really not a video game guy. But he he understood the assignment. He knew how cool he sounded. But yeah, I just wanted a shout out to uh, James McCaffrey. uh, Huge part of my adolescence and... uh, my burgeoning appreciation of the medium of video games around that time. Yeah, if you've never played a Max Payne game, they're really cheap on Steam. They're like five, six bucks a pop. Fantastic games. And his his voice acting is cool as hell. He's my generation's Dirty Harry, as far as I'm concerned. How about you, Neil? Have you uh, consumed any cool art lately? Oh, uh, not a, a lot. Um, you can probably tell my voice is shot right now because I've I've had a cold for the last week or so. I'm getting over it now, but you know, it sounds very low and deep like this. Tom Waits talking Tom about Waits. shitting his pants in jail. Yeah, shit I shit my pants. <laughs> I was in that jail one night long. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I've been stuck in bed a lot. I needed something mindless to just throw on something nostalgic uh i decided to rewatch after a long time to finally rewatch the coneheads wait are you and fucking kidding me you watched coneheads this week i watched the coneheads i watched coneheads this week too wait oh nice i also watched coneheads this is actually you a little too? this is crazy you watched the movie or the snl sketch i watched a couple sketches and that made me want to watch the movie i watched both as well we're all coneheads wow wow what a it's a christmas miracle wow it'll be real great Coneheads from 1993 is the subject of today's show, apparently. Directed by the fellow who directed the Ninja Turtles movie. And a lot of music videos. Uh, what's his name? Not a Henson. <laughs> it's something. Steve bo- Barron. Yeah. Not Steve Bannon. Not Steve Bannon. Notes. I had that thought while the, the credits came up. I was like, oh, he was in the. No, no. Different guy. Different guy. He, he directed a lot of music videos. Take On Me is one of them, right? Oh, Jesus. That's awesome. Yeah, so we all just coincidentally watched the Coneheads movie. Imagine that. I mean, it would be like <laughs> really uncool if we actually like planned out a whole episode to talk about the Coneheads movie. But yeah. since we all watched it, let's just talk. Yeah. 
as we all joyfully take notes on all media we consume. Let's rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we should have our Steve from Blue's Clues notebook <laughs> that we keep on our couches. <laughs> How else will I keep all my ape films in order? It's so confusing. I'll start. Um, did y'all, I assume, watch this as a kid? Yes. yes. I definitely saw it on like TBS or something. On TBS. This is a real stealing cable back in the day. Yep. Stealing cable. <laughs> I feel like it was kind of a blockbuster rental once or twice. Yeah, yeah. I think I rented it at like my grandparents a couple times and then probably saw it on TV like two times after that. I think I saw it once in my early 20s as well, but I didn't, I, I, I barely recalled it until this week. And I ended up watching it two nights in a row. Nice. Which nice. I never do. But because you, you can do it with this movie because it's only like 88 minutes or something. Yep. It's really it, fast. It zips. Including yeah. credits. Yeah. Before we get into what makes the movie special, um, I have to say, sidebar, because the very, very beginning, before we even see our first cone or our first head, <laughs> that when the Paramount Pictures logo comes up yeah. with this beautiful, st- it's iconic stars wrap around that mountain, missed opportunity of a lifetime. <laughs> Why doesn't the mountain turn into the cone-shaped spaceship? Why doesn't the Paramount Mountain turn into a cone head's cone head? Why doesn't the Paramount Mountain fade into anything cone missed opportunity? I, I cannot be the only one who thinks this. You know, David Kirkpatrick said no. <laughs> <laughs> this movie was supposed to be a Halloween film. It was supposed to be released in October. Because, hey, it's about a bunch of aliens from space and you got Dan Aykroyd yeah. helming half the wheel. Um, but apparently, uh, Lauren Michaels and the people at Paramount decided early on in filming... This is going to be a summer movie. This is going to be a big deal. This uh, Wayne's World had come out the year before. Right? Bingo. Correct. Uh, and this was only the third Saturday Night Live movie. Right. Is that crazy in, to think? Like, I want to say Blues Brothers is 76, 77. 80, it's, it's 80, 80, I think. It's 80. That's yeah. right around the beginning of the So 80s. we have a big gap between Blues Brothers, also, of course, co-helmed by... Dan Aykroyd. Daniel Aykroyd. Until this wave that really hit the nail yeah, for after Wayne's World, which almost certainly cost a lot less money. Really fun. Yeah. Arguably funnier. But yeah, Wayne's World hit the nail of the park of, hey, we can go back to the formula of stretching out, fleshing out SNL hits into feature length films. I wonder now, this is something we have to keep in mind. Um we, we talk about this off mic every now and then. Uh we gotta keep ourselves fresh with our references to newcomers who are just trying to find something to listen to people. How old do you think you have to be to know what the hell the coneheads are? 35, 35. You think a 30 year old, someone born in 93, which is when the movie came out, right? Yeah. Would a 30, sorry, you think a 30 year old would know what the coneheads are? Knowing that they just did a whole conehead gimmick in season seven of Rick and Morty, they came out within a month and change ago. Oh, for real? Yep. I didn't know really. That. Yep. It's a, a joke they referenced twice within 60 seconds, which is exactly how long of a reference this should be of coneheads. Yep. Moving on. I mean, I would bet the average Gen Zer had to look up what a conehead is. Yes. What do you, what do you guys think? Do I, I think it's one of those things if you, you see the cover once. You might ask someone about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, I feel like people probably 30 is the cutoff. And it's probably like if you're in the Blockbuster video or the West Coast video, you see that like bright VHS cover, yeah. blue, sky blue. Deep pink. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Dan Aykroyd, Jane Curtin, the other one on the cover. <laughs> From Days to This is like Brendan yes. Fraser had a band. That's Airheads. This is Coneheads. <laughs> Get your shit together. Shit, Airheads. I got to watch Airheads. <laughs> also, really Steve quickly. Buscemi. Really quickly, the VHS, as I mentioned, like that sky blue cloud background, mm-hmm. 
Isn't it the same one in the Wayne's World in Wayne's World 2? It, it, yeah. it, it was a running theme with SNL. That's movies. what I thought. Okay. Norm Michael's idea. Very similar. Yep. That was his, uh, you know, the opening of every Marvel movie has like the, the comic book pages. Mm -hmm. That That's the SNL movie equivalent. <laughs> Bluecloud.jpg layer one. Although, Actors layer two. <laughs> although not an SNL skit, it would not surprise me if Encino Man's VHS cover is really similar. Yeah, I sure. watched Encino yeah. Man a month mm -hmm. ago. Encino <laughs> Man's great, uh, but yeah, it's it does. Yeah, that that cover doesn't exactly sell the tone. It kind of does, I guess. But like um, the similarity to that and Wayne's World led to me like thinking for years that there were two Coneheads movies. Yeah, I watched it with my girlfriend Stacy, and she said right as the credits hit, "Is there a second one of these?" It's kind of a Mandela effect. It feels yeah. like there should be a second one because the first one's yep. so tight and likable. I, I've seen people online comment that they have these vague memories of it being a TV show because it was on TNT and TBS and Sci-Fi Channel so much, and it feels like a sitcom. You know, not to yeah, not, it's like episodic and also like the way it's very vignette. -y. Yeah, mm. vi very vignette is a good way of putting it. Yeah, for the uninitiated, Coneheads is one of the oldest reoccurring saturday night live sketches it started in the second season yeah and so, yeah there's probably older ones but so like, that's um, like 78 something like that yeah. but actually uh, you'll never guess who the the uh the um the host of the week the, uh was the episode that the coneheads were introduced mm, george carlin was hosting a lot back then wasn't george carlin okay uh president gerald ford Ooh, uh you're closer Oh, oh my God. Al Franken? <laughs> it's Ralph Nader. What? <laughs> Unfortunately, Ralph, no, Ralph Nader does not show up in their sketch. <laughs> I okay. didn't, I didn't bother rewatching the old sketches other than the one with Frank Zappa in it. Yeah. Frank Zappa did it like a song about. Yeah. I, I, we'll talk about the, if we want the Frank Zappa <laughs> song, it's not his best work, but Frank Zappa apparently liked the Coneheads so much that he, he wrote, it was a song he already had and he added lyrics to it about the cone heads and it's got like some it's got some dirty jokes in it. So it's of, his it's his candle in the wind. Is it's what kind you're of saying? his yeah, it's his candle as cone head in the wind. <laughs> also while we while we have already addressed staying topical for the kids at home, the Gen Zers, the whatever you want to call yourselves, and younger. Ralph Nader, uh, in short, 30, <laughs> yeah, 30 seconds in and out. If you have a seatbelt in your car, you can thank Ralph Nader. Moving on. The whole sketch was born out of Dan Aykroyd being extra stoned and wanting to make some comedy characters up. I think he said it was based on This Island Earth, the old sci-fi movie. In this Normal Island Earth. View. <laughs> Damn, Mystery man. Science Theater, the movie. Uh, the yeah, the aliens in that movie, lovely Technicolor, This Island Earth. Uh, they just have very big foreheads. Not cone heads, but tall tops of their heads. And nobody draws any attention to it. They're just like... Yep, we yep. all just act like that's what normal people look like. That's like the whole joke of the cone heads, right? It's like no one ever says like... Why do you have a giant head? Why do you talk like that? Yeah, I think they're clearly is. aliens. Oh, they're from France. Yeah, they're from France. They are from France. Mm -hmm. So in the movie, the Coneheads are on Earth. They're stuck here and they're waiting to get rescued at some point. It's going to take some time before the Conehead. It's going to take seven Zerls or whatever, or something like that. I don't know. Which is like 16 years. Something yeah. like that. They Based on their reaction to that, that whatever that Romulakian unit of measurement, we know is a long time to wait for rescue. So 
I, I, they make it seem like it's be like oh, like a hundred years or something. I don't think they ever say exactly how long it's going to be. So it's a surprise. I want to bring that up later. There's some time abstraction during a montage in the movie that could be five years or it could be like sixteen. Yeah, no. See, like when I watched the movie both this week and when I was growing up, I always had assumed that like the child Conehead, which we'll get to was like really five years old. Yeah. And they were just like, again, going back to like, no one's questioning if they're aliens. Like she goes through preschool and then next year she's in fifth grade and everyone's like, yep, that's normal. Yeah. That's how I read it. Yeah. But who's to say? They her, leave na- her name's Connie, which is kind of funny. Yes. <laughs> that's, uh, she is in the original sketches too, but she's played by Lorraine, Lorraine Newman. Yeah. And in this movie, they brought in three actors who played three friends in Dazed and Confused. Uh, it's a, Joey Lawrence Adams, Parker Posey, and the woman who actually plays uh, Connie in the movie. Who, who's it? What's her Connie Conehead. Uh, Michelle, yes. Michelle Burke. Michelle Burke. So, so yeah, so the movie is basically a series of, you know, it's, it's them trying to fit in and exist in America, living out the American dream, dodging immigration officers, or one particular one played by Michael McKeon, uh, waiting it out until their alien friends show up and rescue them. There, there is a deleted scene that was shown on the TV edits of the movie. That's the cold open of the film. There was a completely different open that they shot where Phil Hartman playing a Conehead, rest in peace, gives Dan Aykroyd, Beldar the instruction to go start conquering Earth. Conquer Earth, yeah. Yeah, and then they get to Earth and they're immediately shot down by an F-16. They cut out that, they just kind of cold open in the edit we've seen in the edit that everyone's seen the theatrical release it's just a bunch of like people at nasa barely paying attention to their radars and such they're what it's a guy watching the gorn episode of star trek yes yeah yeah captain kirk and the lizard man he's paying attention to star trek instead of an actual alien showing up on earth it's funny yeah i like that the movie just starts this movie's got places to be it's not even 90 minutes right one hour, 28 minutes. It's yep. 88 yeah. minutes. It starts to feel a little chopped up at the end, but and it is. But uh, up until that point, I I felt like, oh, wow, this movie's got like great thrust to it. <laughs> it um, knows when to change gears. It really knows when to like, okay, moving on. New and, cameo. And yeah. our movie oh my God, the cameos and, are just yeah. yeah. Our movie is bookended by some great special effects by our man with the plan, Phil Tippett. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, this movie came out the same year as Jurassic Park. Which, um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming Coneheads did not have a comparable budget no. to Jurassic Park. All right, so, okay, so I, we've laid the bed, uh, the, the bedroom. The foundation. The foundation of the movie. And, and as we've already hit the nail on the head there of, this is not going to simply be Leo DiCaprio pointing at the TV. I know that, but this supporting cast is unbelievable. Like, it is impossible to ignore. We, will, we won't even actively understate it, but wow. First one we see, hitting the ground running, Michael Richards. Oh, yeah, that's right. Michael Richards is in, like, the oh, yeah. first scene of this movie. Yep. The, the thing about the cameos in this movie and the, the supporting cast and the players that show up that, I mean, hell, even the Conehead actors themselves, Jane Curtin, Dan Aykroyd, this is where the, the out-of-touch references really hit the road because yep. everyone that we probably go, oh, wow, Sinbad's in this. Eddie <laughs> Griffin's in this. Tom Adam, Arnold. Tom Arnold. Tom Arnold, perfect. Use Drew Tom. Carey. Like, Drew yeah. Carey. The price is right. Yep, there you go. Did Drew Carey even do anything? I... I he was a stand-up comedian. No, I mean, like, in the movie. I remember he, he in getting into a cab. That's it. He asked, for, it. He asked to get somewhere, and um, 
uh, Beldar says he'll get them there like better than any other taxi. Oh, right, right. Yeah, it's a waste of Drew Carey. He had me. another. He has another scene that's on the TV version, uh, uh, but that doesn't that pencils up, man. That doesn't count, right? But basically, if you're listening and we're naming actors that you really don't care about or know who, if you don't know who we're referencing, that's that that's the generational divide. Watching this movie as someone born in '87, every almost every scene, I was like, oh my god. That's cool. Phil Hartman's in this scene. Oh, that's really cool. So-and-so is in this scene. Yeah, like Adam Sandler. Everyone's going to know that. Kevin Nealon, maybe not. Actually, yeah. speaking of Kevin Nealon, I do want to mention that I did listen to a couple podcasts ago. I think your media current, Kevin, was... The Conan O'Brien. The Conan O'Brien. Smigel. Um, talking about a uh, unproduced uh, SNL movie based on uh, Hans and Franz. Yeah. Which would have been in production like a little before this. Yeah. Um. So they were trying, I guess, concurrently with Wayne's World to get other movies made. For some reason, this one got through. I wonder if it is because of uh, Star Trek's resurgence in popularity, because this is a big Star Trek riff in a lot of ways. I think if you you might be able to point to The Simpsons, mm-hmm. and maybe there's some like Exhibit A there, like, hey, listen, we can do like suburban like live action cartoon stuff. Uh, and there is th- this movie's look is very. Uh, Spencer's gift circa 1993. This is very like a showy uh, kind of like a lot of wide angle lenses, high shutter speed. Um, the compositions of the cone heads, like a lot of the framing around them. Th- there's a, there's a restriction. They always include the entire head mm-hmm. unless there's like, it has to be an extreme close up for like an eyeball or something, but that shit gets really funny. Cause you forget about it. And every like 20 minutes, they kind of like wink about it. And it, it always got me. You know, you'll see like the top of Beldar's head behind a fence and something like that. (laughs) (laughs) They also do that great thing that too many understated acting technique because they are giving outside of being funny performances, really good performances of they almost never blink. I was looking for either one to blink. Their daughter blinks, but their daughter has been, you know. She's grown up on Earth. She understands the, even though she speaks like a conehead, she also has like emotional affectation that they do not and <laughs> never pick up. Yeah. Not even a little. Yeah. But yeah, th- these are one of those, it's not, it's not a, it's not Anthony Hopkins playing Dr. Hannibal Lecter, but these actors never blink. The, who, okay. I'm just going to go through the cast list real fast on IMDb. Not everybody, but. If any of these names ring a bell, congratulations. You're probably pushing 40. Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin, along with Michelle Burke as the Coneheads, of course. Adam Sandler. This was his first movie role, which uh, Dan Aykroyd got for him. Uh, Lorraine Newman from SNL. She plays Larta, another Conehead. Uh, Chris Farley, David Spade, Michael McKeon, Ellen DeGeneres, Parker Posey, Sinbad, Phil Hartman, Michael Richards, Tim Meadows, Jason Alexander, Dave Thomas, Jan Hooks, Eddie Griffin, Joey Lawrence Adams, Garrett Morris, Kevin Nealon. Like, it's just nuts. And if that sounds like a lot, like most of these people have a line. Some of them don't even have like off-screen lines. Like Ellen DeGeneres is the swim coach, if I'm I completely missed Ellen. Yeah, Um, she's the swim coach. Like her lines are muffled because it's really just like you're watching her talk to Connie from the Conehead's perspective. So like it doesn't matter. But she's in it. She's in the movie. I I feel like if... uh, Maybe the question came up of like, this is a sketch from the 70s. We're trying to make it in the 90s. We need to put not so much original era SNL people, but try and get as many current SNLers in it as we can. Yeah. Um, so you got Chris Farley and Adam Sandler and stuff like that. And John Lovitz, of course. John oh, yeah, Lovitz. John Lovitz, man. So, uh, so it feels like 
I'm probably alone in this, but I'm not a huge fan of early SNL. Um, just doesn't do it for me. But I love the SNL I grew up with, late 80s, early 90s, uh, Conan O'Brien era sense of humor. Conan O'Brien uh, shot a scene for this movie that got cut. Is was that he a conehead? He was, he was back on Ramulak, right? Ramulak. Yeah. Ramulak, he was back. He's one of the conehead aliens back on uh, the, their home planet during like a big scene. And um, the, the last 20 minutes of this movie were cut down a lot yeah. uh, just to get to the finale. And um, you can find Conan talking about this on YouTube. He, he is he in like the dinner scene or something? He's not in the final cut of the movie. I'm not yeah. sure what scene he was in, um, but they, they asked him to come in and uh, he just, anyone they could get from SNL, they basically threw in this movie, um, including him. Well, you know, it's fu- something I thought about when watching this movie this week was a truly disastrous baby boomers clutching onto what power and time they have left, which is not this movie. <laughs> this movie's not necessarily a passing of the torch, but it does recognize that some of these baby boomer SNL folks are middle aged now. So yeah. you get your Adam Sandler when he still looks like a teenager because he's practically a teenager. You get your Chris Farley's. You get your right in between of John Lovitz. And, and I Spade, think about yeah. Dave exactly David Spade. You get Jimmy the next Spade, generation yeah. of folks and actually like give them a hand to pull them up on stage right there with you as opposed to the exact opposite of that, of baby boomers refusing to give anything up, nothing but trouble. Also, also <laughs> steerheaded by SNL alum. It was, yeah, nothing but trouble, also steerheaded, steamrolled, piloted by Dan Aykroyd, among other things. He kind of like, was th- the directing of that movie was apparently thrust upon him. Yep. And he just said, ah, to hell with it, let's just make it. Let's go nuts. Because every director they had kept backing out. But what... What a much, much better example. And the fact that they're both about SNL alum for the most part. And yeah. the fact that they're both starring Dan Aykroyd, co-starring Dan Aykroyd. Of here's Under an prosthetics. Yep. A sure. lot of, exa- yeah. Are a lot sure of prosthetic on. <laughs> let's, okay, let's get to it. The, the, okay, so this movie, the, the humor of the Coneheads is that, yes, people, no one seems to call out that they're clearly extraterrestrial. Um, but they talk in a very... 1950s pulp alien vernacular like very like like very over syllabic uh <laughs> overly technical no one ever has to think or um or uh or there's pause. probably some race on star trek that that spoke like this like and, they'll know. call coins like metallic currency discs yeah. you know stuff like that <laughs> yeah 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 and um it sounds dumb as hell, but it always makes me laugh. Especially, especially Jane Curtin's deliveries in this movie. I'm pretty sure they popularized like parental units. Uh, you know, mass, parental units. Yeah, yeah, like, you're right. Mass <laughs> quantities. Like if you hear your parents say that stuff, it comes from SNL. Yes, her, it totally does. Yeah. Her delivery of her little talk to Connie about their their sex life. Yes, and it's like eventually it just became repetition out of nature. It's fine. <laughs> I love. I love it's it. A they, great line. It's a real. There guy. are no. There are no boyfriends. There are no girlfriends, husbands, or wives. There are genetto mates. <laughs> like, <laughs> I. I'll, I'm gonna say we're gonna talk about Dan Aykroyd a ton in this. Uh, he is. He's like the the main character of the movie. He's the glue. Yeah. Uh, Jane Curtin. I wish she was in it a little bit more. A little bit more. She's. Yeah. I think a better actor than well, Dan a, Aykroyd. She's a really powerful spice in this movie. Like she's allowed to be weirder than him. Yeah. And he's still the weirdest goddamn thing you have ever seen. <laughs> I know. The but first, it, yeah, it makes me, I mean, she plays the straight man on um, third rock from the sun. And this is a complete, this is flip. the complete opposite. Um, she's just great. I love her. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they have to fit in. So like they, they, yeah. they, 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 they crash land after being shot down. 
uh, and Beldar, the father, this is before they have a kid. Uh, he has to find work. So he just gets work at a fix it shop run by Sinbad. Sinbad. <laughs> I forgot. That. Yeah. Sinbad. Sinbad's really funny in this movie. <laughs> um, particularly the scene where you know, Sinbad's character, uh, Otto loves Beldar because he shows up on time. He does a good job. He's like 10. He's like, what is he like? You're like quadrupling the amount of like work I get done here. This is fantastic. Uh, but eventually he needs Beldar's social security number so he could file tax paperwork. Uh, Beldar- That's a really funny exchange of yeah. Dan Aykroyd for all of his incredibly autosyncratic, idiosyncratic, like, ah, carbonated beverages designed to be consumed. It's like <laughs> he can't improvise. He's going like three, seven, giving B, the social security. Like, of course I have social security. L. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's throwing in numbers and decimal points. Like, like you're, you're, you're lying. You're lying. But- and you can't, you literally... Apparently, Remy Lax can't lie. There, there's, there's fucking suck at it. There's a great bit. Uh, it's it's one of my biggest laughs in the movie where uh, Sinbad says like, "Oh my god, you don't have a you don't have a social security number." I knew this was too good to be true, and I got to figure out what to do with you. Well, where are you from? And Beldar looks off to the stars and he says, "I am from the planet Remulac. And he, and he starts to explain just literally where he's from. And Sinbad gives him like five seconds, and he goes, "Wait, just quiet, whatever." Okay, hold on. And he starts to like think of how he's going to solve this problem. I don't know. They made me laugh pretty hard. That was like Sinbad's timing there was excellent. I am an illegal alien from the planet. It was like, ah, you're right. The less I know, the better. Like if I have to lawyer up, <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah, don't don't tell me. Yeah. Uh, Sinbad, he only has a few scenes in this movie, but he's he's really fun in all of them. Um, I like how kind of real every supporting actor gets to be in this movie. Because they're all, I think the secret sauce for people our age is that these are all sketch comedy actors for the most part, or stand-up comedians who play very broadly and loudly. So to see Jason Alexander play a normal person, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or John Lovitz play a normal dentist, it's you can feel the leash on them in every shot, and they're allowed to let out just the tiniest bit of absurdity, clown shoe acting. Uh, and I think it plays great. Like it's Sinbad in that moment, like playing the guy who's like, oh, great. Now I have to get you a fake social security number. I think they all come from, most of them come from a sketch comedy background. They understand the assignment of and what they bring as the straight man to the completely ridiculous cartoon. And Ackroyd mm-hmm. is willing to be like the most like weird off-putting, like there's- the That's first, just Dan Ackroyd. Yeah. <laughs> and this first, the first act of this movie, he's got like the shark teeth thing going on. He's like- It's three, three rows of fangs. <laughs> They're nightmare teeth. By you the know, way, for a comedy, there is some body horror in this oh, film. Yeah. Oh yeah. Great God. body horror. Experimental CG stuff. A little bit of experimental some CG. Some of it works, some of it's eh. yeah, yeah, but like the practical effects in this movie are pretty pretty dope. They're pretty good. They I, I love uh Dan, you and I were talking offline about this. Um going back to the cinematography of the movie. It's weirder looking than I remembered in a good way. Like like I said, wide angle lenses playing with the crank speed of the camera. Right. Uh <laughs> some funny sound effects for basic stuff going on. Like people opening doors, like the, the Coneheads, uh, uh, Primat and Beldar, they, they move in a very peculiar way with some camera tricks. They're, uh, they're very stilted. And then sometimes Dan Aykroyd will perform a scene like he's fixing something and he's, he's doing it very fast because he's efficient at it. And so they'll do some speed ramping up. Um, but again, I don't think it was filmed at a faster frame rate. So like there's jerkiness to his speed ramping while he's doing the action. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and they do that a lot. It's very like Looney Tunes, but not a fluid, like a, a Flesher cartoon or anything like that. It's just like herky jerky 
he's fixing a thing in his hands yeah. uh, and moving almost robotically. There's there's one bit where uh, Beldar's sitting at his home computer and he's like typing. He's either at a computer or like a typewriter or something. I think he's doing a, his taxes. It's, it's a laptop. Oh, it's a laptop, but yeah. he's got like he's got like a pipe in one hand and he's like typing with the other hand. Yes. And it's speed. It's sped up for some reason. It's like he's like in the background of the shot. It's like three seconds. And the sound effects of the computer are like right out of Star Trek. <laughs> it's supposed to be like a normal, like personal computer from the nineties. Um, but there's a, the, the, the Coneheads themselves are supposed to be off putting and hard to get comfortable with in the first 20 minutes. I want to say, yeah, they uh, only move in right angles. They, they eat toilet they, paper. Yeah. They eat toilet paper, <laughs> especially with his teeth. They're just awful. Yeah. The, the scene where the scene where uh primat tells Beldar that they have a baby on the way. And she says, I am with Cone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ackroyd's like in the middle of eating something. And he, I think he still has the shark teeth. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he like goes with Cone or whatever. And it's like the most like unflattering close up of a leading actor in any movie. Because comedy movies used to have uh, expressiveness to them and actors that didn't have to have abs <laughs> or like hair plugs and shit. Like he's, Ackroyd's just allowed to be the weird guy. So, you know. Ellen DeGeneres, Adam Sandler or whatever can come in and act like a normal human being around them. I also got to say, yeah, um, to that point and uh, with what we were talking about earlier with all the uh, cameos, I just, I was just thinking like what uh, if Bill Murray showed up in this movie, I don't think it would work. I think he, I don't think he could do like the second fiddle character very well it's not even an ego thing it's just i don't think yeah i don't think his comedy chops play great to that yeah and, and, and this doesn't sound the weirdest damn thing the, the 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 formula of this movie makes guys like tom arnold come off crazy funny to me <laughs> like tom arnold has like one line in the movie and it's the funniest thing i think i've seen him do uh tom arnold shows up for a hot second during a it's like a golf course scene this yeah. is like like almost at the end of the movie yeah it's like an hour in no one's pointed out that the coneheads look like monsters <laughs> and uh tom arnold's like a groundskeeper or something at the golf course and he sees dan Aykroyd and he just goes whoa what's up with your head <laughs> <laughs> and, and no- the scene just ends <laughs> <laughs> It's the first person in decades on this planet to ever acknowledge. That's a, that's a, that's a softball right there for mm-hmm. Tom Marta. Like, yeah, okay, hit this out of the park, please. <laughs> you know, uh, something I thought about watching the movie again was, although there's arguably negligible progress in terms of their Remulacian, if you will, the lack of affectation of any emotion in their speech yeah. or their speech patterns, there is a learning curve in terms of them recognizing personal space. Because yes. when they first get to Earth, Sinbad they out. <laughs> have no idea what personal space is in in the Western world or well, in the human world. They yeah. yeah. The first one, Michael Richards, he is right on top of that man. And Michael Richards is not a little guy, but he's got that uh, yeah. <laughs> It's so weird to see Michael Richards play at reserve, especially for this point in history you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah you know what when i when i think of him i don't think of a reserved person uh, period <laughs> yeah there's very Will little he say it in, in my mental in, in my mental in, uh, index of michael richards imagery there's only like four things i can think of it's you know seinfeld the youtube video UHF. UHF, yeah, UHF, and Problem Child. Like I can't um, think of him. I can't think of him playing like reserved or small. Uh, but again, uh, the one, the fourth thing is his apology video on. Uh, it's not funny. It's Jerry Seinfeld 
shaming the audience for, for laughing at Michael Richards. I know. Yeah. Great oh my stuff. God. Great stuff. So I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's, uh, what, what, on the whole, do you, I, I want to come like, I want to talk about the aesthetic of the movie. Do you, do you guys think, because a lot of stuff from this period, you know, kind of like broad family friendly comedy vehicles, even if they, even if they had a big budget, which this movie does not, you know, they, I think they tended to look kind of boring and vanilla, like that early nineties look, mm-hmm. right? Something like an airheads, no offense to the aesthetic of airheads, but it's not airheads was not made to look as good incredible as like not die cinematic hard. yeah 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 encino you shut man your fucking mouth <laughs> <laughs> you know easy to go down you know what i'm saying is yeah, com- biodome yeah encino man this type of this type of comedy this is more on the stay tuned mom and dad saved yeah you. yeah yeah this that. is yes. the high this yep. is the high concept stay tuned and mom and dad saved the world wish they were this though i, th- I think but we're saying a- aesthetically like they're in that ballpark they're like outfield sure this is infield this this movie i think i what, what do you think of like the camera work in this movie because there's some cool expressive stuff that pops up every couple of minutes like uh, they'll yeah. mount a camera like sam raimi style to like someone's wrist as they're pointing at someone every once in a while it kind of mm-hmm. jumps out at you i i yeah. I, I think it's um it's like not a consistently great looking movie, but every sure. once in a while, especially when they go to Remulac, yeah, uh, looks really good. You could list like I think you could list like ten standout beats, which is impressive for how quick it is. Mm-hmm. Like like obviously the the spaceship showing up, um, the fireworks scene, the dentist scene. I love the montage of Connie growing up, the birth scene, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is nuts. Oh my oh god, my god. All right, yeah. So her water <laughs> breaks, uh, primate. She's uh, with Con. Yeah. I remember that shot of like. The, it's a thousand gallons. It's a thousand gallons. <laughs> Physically impossible to come I've, out of the, <laughs> anything. I, I, vague, I vaguely feel like maybe I didn't know that's not what it looked like as a kid where I was just like. Ugh, it's heavy drama. <laughs> From it's the ratio drama. of surface area to mass, that much fluid could not possibly have come out of. Could could a Remulacian, could a conehead have their mouth open three sizes that big? Every, They're aliens. Were you worried when you were having your daughter that that was going to happen? <laughs> It's, like, it's gonna happen. It's gonna need new floors. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say you haven't been using that sound effect enough. <laughs> Going to the birth real quick though. What was with the '90s trying to tell us that like you can bring your friends to the birth into the room? There's the so many movies here. that did that. Yeah, at this point in the all, movie, all hands on deck. <laughs> okay, so at this point in the movie, when Connie's about to be born, uh, uh. Sinbad's still in the picture. Sinbad's there. Yeah. Uh, what, what happened to Sinbad? Like he feels like he's supposed to be a recurring character, but like they're on he, the run from the government. Yeah. That, I guess they never see him. No again. longer uh, the Chico at that point. Yeah. The Chico. Uh, and it's Sinbad and it's Kudri, um, uh, his boss at the taxi company. Right. Yeah. So yeah, at this point, uh, Beldar's already had to change jobs. Uh, I believe because uh, they get raided by um, the US feds. Immigration. Yeah, the yep. feds are on top of them. Uh, and the, the 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 feds in this movie that are going after them are played by Michael McKeon and David Spade. David Spade, uh, what, what a, one of the more funny things I've seen him do. Uh, he's playing, like, he's a very specific type of yes man. He's, a kiss ass, if there was ever a kiss ass. There's an innate unlikability to David Spade. He, he's a glory he, stealer. Yeah. He, plays it, he yeah. plays it up, though. Like, he yep, wants to be right. the voice of... He wants to always be the bearer of good news. I like this more than, you know, like cool guy, David Spade. Yeah. yeah. Um, but weird note here, by the way, David Spade and Chris Farley in the same film together, never share a scene. Mm-hmm. Chris Farley and Adam Sandler in the same film together, never share a scene. I really oh. like Adam Sandler's quick scene in this because oh, me too. we got to talk about that because it's very 
special. We're to all us. over the place. We're still in the first third of the movie, I guess. But we're trying to stay. There, Sinbad's but... trying to get Beldar a social security number and a fake, a fake, yeah. in a fake ID. So he hooks him up with his buddy Adam Sandler. Again, first first speaking role in a movie. Yeah, his character's name is Carmine Wiener. <laughs> That's good. The scene's fun because it opens on a shot of they're in a booth in a restaurant. Sinbad's in the middle. Dan Aykroyd's to the left. And Adam Sandler's to the right. And they're all just kind of doing a really good job filling the roles of the scene. Like Adam Sandler's allowed to be the crazy one, which is weird because he's sitting across from Dan Aykroyd and Conehead make Not even like in a hidden booth in the back of the restaurant. There's like a family like in the table right next to them <laughs> while they're talking about identity fraud. And Sinbad's <laughs> just there nodding agreeingly yeah. like he's there to facilitate this exchange. And uh, Adam Sandler feeds uh, Beldar what his new life is going to be, whose new ideas. Hello, Mr. Thompson. It's that scene. Yeah. This is a good use of Adam Sandler. Uh, young, like pre mega fame, Adam Sandler. Pre the voice. Adam Sandler. <laughs> right. He's, he's, doing, he's doing a character. He's sticking into the character yeah. and it's uh, the, the identity um, he, he gives to him is what is it? Uh, something. De Chico. Daniel right? De Chico. Daniel De Chico from Brockton, Massachusetts. That's oh, my mother's from Brockton. That, that was a good use of Adam Sandler. Like my mother is literally from Brockton. Massachusetts. <laughs> my, my boss is from Brockton, yeah. Massachusetts. I my, sent him a screenshot of that. My parents grew up in Brockton, Massachusetts. I think they say something like "nice town" or something. They make a joke about it, which I don't know if anyone broadly got that, but uh, I think at the time, especially, it would have been known as a uh, not a very nice town. We're about five minutes away via car from Brockton, Massachusetts. Yeah. And we live next door to it, so like Stacy and I both like, oh, Brockton, Massachusetts. Yeah, that's fine. It happened to me about a year ago when we watched the menu. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, Brockton, Massachusetts. <laughs> I think they picked, they, I honestly think they picked Brockton, Massachusetts, because it's funny to picture Bill Dar saying, Brockton, Massachusetts. It feels like a very Dan Aykroyd pulp for some reason. Yeah. Brockton. Um, he, uh, it's he, get, he gives him like an Italian identity. Yeah. I think like the only famous person from Brockton, Massachusetts, especially back then, was Rocky Marciano. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's the joke there. <laughs> <laughs> Not letting Dan Aykroyd make some Canadian joke of like you know that to like no one knows the town you're from, Dan. <laughs> they uh. His Canadian accent comes through a couple times. Oh yeah, you know? oh he yeah. Says, he says sorry, but in so sorry, like <laughs> it's never it's never quite as bad as oh Venkman, I'm sorry. It's never it's never quite that on the on the nose. Yeah. Um. Do we want to go back to? I we got to talk about Michael McKeon. Michael McKeon yeah. deserves like an hour. Uh, I think Michael McKeon. He steals the show. By He's the my favorite part of this. Movie. By the second scene he was in, I was like, this is the reason we need to talk about this. I, I've always been a big fan of Michael McKeon. I love pretty much the entire cast of this movie in some fashion. Um, like it was great to see even like Jen hooks show up for a mm-hmm. bit to play the other woman, the other woman. Holy shit. That sets up a funny scene. Um, but, uh, Michael McKeon, how to describe him? He's a, he's the evil G man of the movie. He's the, the, the main immigration officer that's going after the Conehead family. He figures out that there, that there's an illegal alien, an illegal immigrant, uh, working under false pretenses because the social security number that Beldar's given by Adam Sandler is from a dead person, right? That has recently blipped way too many times on the record. It's it's a number used obviously for identity theft. It's like the identity one that fraud. Adam Sandler always uses. Like yeah. he's not good at it. <laughs> he's it's got like, one. It's, it's like the serial. It's like the 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 serial code that everyone uses to register cool edit probe two point Yes, that's what I was thinking. Too. Yeah, <laughs> everybody's thinking it. The uh, but um, Michael McKeon is really into his job 
but I don't even. How would you describe this, Dan? Like, I'd say like he is a proto-Trumpian. Yes. Who only wants to excel in government for his own. I wouldn't even say like personal gain, but like personal triumph. He wants career mobility. He, he wants, wants career to mobility. He wants legacy. Um. The, yeah. the his opening scene is he's talking to some other member of government. He's in a much lower level of immigration right now, and he's going like, "Look at." When we get the illegal aliens, uh, immigrants from Mexico, we'll put a collar on them, mm-hmm. and then we'll put an invisible fence under the ground of the border. So when we put them back in Mexico, if they try to come back, they'll get a little shock. And he shows like a little Doc Brown die. Uh, like Mister Burns, with yeah, him. yeah. And they keep, man, he makes the little guy cross the thing, and he sets on fire, and he goes, "Well, it won't be like that." But you get the idea. <laughs> the guy he's talking to is horrified because you. Fucking should be if you think about human beings the way this man does. Well, he gets uh, there is <laughs> he, a he gets a he gets a caller later on in the movie. Yeah. Um, so, so Michael McKeon is this guy who, again, he takes a lot of pride in his work because it's like a very Hank Hill approach to work ethic. But he is like a lot of work ethic over being a fucking monster. That's the joke, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and they they don't hang a lantern on it. It's just McKeon's performance. He knows how to play to the camera. He makes some great facial expressions. Uh, he and Spade work really well together. And it's interesting also that as I'm, de- it's it's not like his motivation. It, you know, his, his motivation is to climb the corporate ladder, the you know the government bureaucracy ladder. It's not like he's like no, never leave a stone unturned, never leave a, leave a case unfinished. When they leave an unfinished case, like that's somebody else's problem. Now. That's the best joke <laughs> in the movie. I, that was the minute I texted you. But what about blah 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 blah? Like I don't care. Yeah, so there's you, a scene where they're about to catch the coneheads. Like they have them dead to rights. It's half an hour into the movie. They have the coneheads cornered. It's it's over. There's like, seriously, like 40 cop cars, like mm-hmm. countless police officers. There's probably a helicopter. Michael McKeon's in his trench coat with like a lot of blue backlighting, like something out of the fugitive. Right. And he's no joke about to walk up the steps of the Coneheads home to get them. And David Spade runs up and goes, sir, sir, I just got a fax. You've been promoted. And McKean goes like, oh, thank God. <laughs> he just like, and he just like goes to walk away from the house. And David Spade stops and goes, hey, don't you, don't you want to want to catch these guys and like put them in prison? And he goes, oh, nuts to that. Let the next guy do it. <laughs> and he just walks off camera and we don't see McKean for like a good 15 I re- minutes. I thought he was done. I thought That's he was out of the so funny. He spent like $300,000 trying to catch these Totally like and this is why I think the movie stands the test of time. The intention of the movie, the Coneds are thoroughly illustrated as weirdos, but phenomenal neighbors, hardworking, trusting, willing to learn. They, they bring a lot of value to their community. But Maintain the family structure. Good spouses, parental units. They're model citizens. Every character points yeah. out like you show up to work on time like this and that. And it's highlighted that McKeon burns like, hundreds of thousands of dollars yep. and immediately doesn't care about the job anymore because he, it's no longer his responsibility. So he just walks away. Yeah. <laughs> I would draw the comparison I would draw is Walter Peck in Ghostbusters. Oh yeah. yeah. Which is a very handled very differently, but they kind of serve the same role in the like vaguely libertarian uh, uh, like vibe of, of both movies. Ghostbusters more so because it's about like starting a business and like, you know, don't what threatens enterprise. Regulation. Right, 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 right. Whereas Coneheads is much more like uh, anti border patrol, anti you know, like 1993. It's, it's pro immigration. It's pro yeah. immigration, pro American dream. Um, and like, it's a, you know, it's 
Yeah, for all the ways it's that the a, cone heads stick out, it's never that they're a problem. Like they're, they're right because if they were a problem, like once with their monster teeth or their freakish features, their asses in jail that night. Yeah, yeah. The, but, but whereas like like it's inherently absurd that like the EPA becomes the villain in the Ghostbusters, it's uh, it's handled more comedically in this, but it's also like much more of like haunting. a real life like it's real. Ha- it's yeah, actually like, haunting. Yeah, yeah, like actually fuck these policies. Yeah, yeah, fuck this guy. Like every time McKeon shows up in the movie, he's just being a monster like verbally. And plays uh, it well. Yeah, he, McKean's he, he, so funny. He's a great character actor in that regard. David Spade, who's also playing a, a shithead monster. I think I wrote in my notes, like, I can believe that David Spade is racist in real life. <laughs> like, it doesn't seem like he's doing that much of a stretch here. <laughs> uh, the scene where uh, I think Michael McKean is like, has to answer in, in like court for spending all that money. Because he's about to get, it's it's supposed to be like his review 15 for... or 16 years later, because this is, so basically it oh, goes yeah. from, it goes from this, very Spielbergian scene where the feds are on the front steps of the Conehead's house and McKeon just says, Oh, to hell with this. And he calls it off because he got promoted. It's no longer his job. It immediately cuts to this saccharine American dream montage shot. Wonder like years kind of 16 millimeter maybe. Yeah. Eight yeah, millimeter their home, even. Their home movies raising their daughter. Um, it's a great way to cover 15, 16 years with, uh, with Paul Simon who yep. married Dan Aykroyd's uh, girlfriend, girlfriend, uh, Carrie Fisher. Uh, so I guess they were still they were still pals. Aykroyd seems really easy to get along. I think with. Aykroyd's a cool dude. Um, <laughs> uh, you see them. You see Connie growing up, and um, apparently, baby Connie is played by Dan Aykroyd's actual daughter. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, I love this scene as a father of a young daughter. I, I figured. <laughs> yeah. I, not all the jokes are like home runs, but there's. It's the sweetness of the movie kind of matters more at that point. The, I watched this with Ming and like we like held hands a bunch like watching Aww. this movie. It was like pretty sweet. I figured that yeah. would happen. Yeah. So it that's how the movie kind of time dilates. Like, okay, we got to like cut to much later in their lives. Mm-hmm. They look exactly the same. <laughs> um, everyone looks exactly the same. Now, I assume by the time Connie is now, you know, 17, 18 year old, each going to prom, high schooler. I'm assuming it's supposed to be 1993 at that point. Yeah. Yes. Assuming. They, yeah. No, they make that clear in the movie that they, they landed in the 70s or 80s. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. the Star, Star Trek's on, right? That, I guess I didn't catch that. Yeah. That's probably... I mean, Star Trek could be on. Well, Star Trek was like even 10 years before that. But there was yeah. something where they did indicate, I think during the Kevin Nealon scene where he is interviewing Michael McKean for the position, they talked... 15 talk, years ago. Yeah, 15 yeah. years ago. You know, oh, yeah. they don't, they, they don't do a lot of like t- like period set dressing or anything. No. You could you could it's kind of ambiguous. You could yeah. say like maybe Connie grew up over the course of like four years or something. Uh, but the, yeah, that that scene is where Kevin Nealon's about to promote Michael McKeon to like some sort of director position, Secretary of Racism or something. Secretary right? of Racism, <laughs> and then uh, it just comes up. Oh, so uh, fifteen years ago, you wasted three hundred thousand dollars on a kid, and you just see this the the smile wipe off of McKeon's face. It's such a great motivation for McKeon's character because again it's not really about the fact he's a racist pile of crap it's because oh that job of mine it's coming back to haunt me he just yeah. looks at the conehead family as uh, uh another shoe that has to drop it wasn't know? me it was it was jimmy he he, he changed the numbers <laughs> <laughs> so that's why mckeon re-enters the story Be- not because the vendetta is completely career-based and it's something they were absolutely oblivious to <laughs> mm-hmm. It's all about the job for him. He doesn't really 
I don't know. I, I, a good use of Kevin Nealon. I think you said that earlier, Neil. But Neil, it's like he's one and done. You know, he, he plays a good G-man. He's a, it's a good use of him, I think. Yeah, I think every sure. SNL cast member that comes back, like Chris Farley, it's, I thought he was used pretty well in the movie too. That He kind of becomes part of the story at this point when Connie's like a teenager. He's fixing their car and that's their like... Meet cute. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's fun. I don't know if... Is he supposed to be a teenager or not? I, I always have wondered that. I'm like, is he supposed to be 30 or 18? See that? I, I, I'm, I think we all are on kind of the same page of what is the... Di- when we know that they're going to go to prom by the end of the movie. She is still a high schooler. I could see Chris Farley being 20. Like, yeah, not going to go to college, He's out like, of high school, he maybe. He was 28 or 29 when they filmed it. She was like 24, but... He just, he's a wreck of a man. That's the Chris Farley joke, right? Like he's like, the way he screams and stuff, he just sounds like he's had a few too many miles on him at this age already. Like that's, But at this point in his career, he, like most of his characters are also like man children. So yes. like yeah. they, they date, we'll get to it a little bit later, but like he has a line like, I pick you up, I take you out, we hang out, I take you back. We never kiss. It's just like yeah. a thirty-year-old man wouldn't say that. It's, I know. I, I, I think he's supposed to be playing a yeah. teenager. I think it's supposed he, to be a little funny. I like, think. I think he's supposed to be just out of high school, still dating a high schooler. That's. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not. It doesn't really matter. They're just kind of cute, and it's a. It's more important for her to be a teenager for the whole like, oh look, she's a second generation American immigrant. Mm-hmm. Look at Connie. She's she still has the very well well spoken high density vernacular but she talks like a valley girl like mm-hmm. her actual accent which is a which is a fun combo i i, I like that she can hold her own talking with with uh primat and beldar about. and like chris farley stood up to her dad who never like no one ever does yeah. like when he gets angry so like that's the attraction point <laughs> I, I did laugh at chris farley um you know this so ryan and i talk about this every now and then like in the car or whatever I, i've never been a huge chris farley fan He's he he makes me laugh a lot in like dirty work and stuff like that. Um, he he I think he has an undeniable screen presence and all that. But I've never been one of those. Um, I need to go back and watch like Tommy Boy and Black Sheep and all that stuff. And this um I think he's got some charm, right? I, I don't know. I think he's I, I think like when he uh, gets the date with Connie and he looks over at um another guy working at the garage with him and the other guy like gives him like like a like a thumbs up or something because he got a date mm-hmm. and like. Chris Farley looks like proud because he just got a date with a girl, but he got a date with a girl that's clearly an alien. <laughs> I don't know. Like it, 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 that joke keeps resurfacing in very cute ways. I think in this movie. Yeah. They give Chris Farley's character a lot of lines by the time he's introduced as a love interest. He's a big part of carrying the story forward and it never feels like he's trying to steal scenes. Yeah. He's sharing actor, the space yeah. just like everybody, everyone else who had like a fraction of his time. I don't know that go- on the golf course when he's yelling from across the golf course to Belder <laughs> like, "Hey, Mister Conan!" He gets one really good. Yeah, that's scene. the thing. His like one scene seal. Yeah, I know what you're saying though. He, he's he's. I think a lot of the people working in the movie at that point had buckets of respect for Jane and Dan. Right? They're like, mm-hmm. "Oh, these are like the progenitors. Like these are like the, 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 this is kind of like an SNL victory lap movie." Uh, I don't know. I, I just think Farley, he's a big ingredient in the movie. Uh, in the in the second act, I'll say he kind of does he even really matter in the third act. He kind of disappears. In he's the got movie. a great line. Yeah, he's got a great scene. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, uh, he's another supporting cast member. I just like like hanging a lantern on. I guess I don't think he's as good as McKeon. But uh, it, it was to Ryan's point. It's cool to see all these like SNL chess pieces that had never been in a movie together, mm-hmm. like being kind of like n- never the two shall meet. 
Adam Sandler's not going to run into David Spade, you know. Um, where do we go? For, okay, so Chris Farley meets Connie, and the next movement of the movie is their relationship, like going sideways, seeing Connie. Oh, there's the diving scene. There's the uh, yeah, they do on the swim team. Oh, the, the swim team, team scene yeah. with Ellen DeGeneres. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Meanwhile, yeah, we, you know, we, but long before we get returned to the planet Remulac, we're seeing a couple of things of them settling into middle age. Their daughter is dating now. Baldar is interested in things like country clubs, golf, status symbols that he would have never dreamed. He is gone. This is an old school term. It's really problematic. He's gone native. Yeah. Uh, Picturing that stupid trophy getting a cone head on top. Oof, great joke. It's, yeah, it's, it is. It's a great joke. It's a type of thing that him, fresh off the spaceship, would have never, ever dreamed of. And yet now, these are their priorities. I love uh, Jason Alexander as his like neighbor friend who, uh, <laughs> who when you first meet him, he's wearing a really obvious toupee. But yep. you don't know it's a joke until like the second scene. Yeah, right? the next scene is when he like brings it up again. He says like, you know, yeah, Beldar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I wrote a note going like, this wig is awful. And then I remembered like two seconds later, like, oh wait, he's meant to be bald. I mean, yeah, you <laughs> delete the note. <laughs> um, they Yeah, they're they're fitting into the burbs and uh, there's a few, it, this this is where like a lot of like the, the, the shortest vignettes appear in the movie, like the quickest joke payoff joke payoff you know set of mm-hmm. payoff. um including um primat thinks beldar might cheat on her because uh beldar gets a job as a uh, driving instructor it's he, like uh, richard dreyfus and mr he, holland's opus like specific. to pick up a couple of bucks on the side <laughs> no i think he's he owns the company i think he starts mm-hmm. his own yes. driving school it's yeah. like a, it's like a throwaway joke from the snl days like it's one that was a, always his job i think yeah yeah but like it's never I, I I watched one of the old sketches and it's Bill Murray as a game show host mm-hmm. talking to Beldar and he just says, I, I am a drive a DMV instructor or whatever it is. And they just, they feel beholden in this movie to any previous Coneheads canon. Mm-hmm. We come from France. We come from like there was a, a half an hour Ralph Bakshi may, uh, produced. Uh, it's Rankin Bass. Rankin Bass. I'm yeah. sorry. A Rankin Bass uh, cartoon. They only made the pilot for the Coneheads cartoon in like 1980 or something. They aired it as a special because they made the pilot. They decided not to make a show, but they're like, well, we already made it. Um, and Aykroyd and um, uh, uh, Jane um, Curtin, Jan Curtin, is Jane Curtin? Jane. Jane. Jane, sorry. Did, uh, they both did the voices for it. But everything in that cartoon is parlayed over into this movie. It's all there. Yeah. Like, it's weird. It's like, the, it's kind of a condensed version of that story. From like fifth, like like twelve or something years earlier, and it was like a forgettable cartoon. Not many people saw. I don't know. They just like rep. They just sourced all the main plot beats from that cartoon. I mean, that goes back earlier to like the Wayne's World of Success. Hey, let's start yeah. rolling at SNL films. Oh, let's just what do we have already in the can? What can we do? Hey, we have this, you know, Rankin Bass Coneheads movie. Let's make it an. I've actual always movie. felt yeah. I've always felt that would make a great feature. <laughs> yeah, Dan Aykroyd, would you want to like you know? Say really stretch out Coneheads to be a thing? Like, I have a 400-page script. Of course you do. Of course you do. You have a 100-page gonna... script. That's great. Yeah. Uh, Ghost... <laughs> when do you... uh, Dan, when do you want to talk about Ghostbusters 3? Oh, Coneheads? I've <laughs> <laughs> been waiting for you to ask me that for 20 years. I don't know how old it was at this point. Um, I, 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 um, I looked it up. I could have sworn, not could have sworn, but like I was certain, like, oh, they must have brought back the Coneheads for like a new skit on SNL at some point. 
Uh, nope. He did some commercials. He made in 93 there's to promote the movie, right? I mean, he was on one episode in 1993, right before the movie came out, playing Bob Dole or something <laughs> like that. Like, And he... Um, he could pull it off. Uh, no, they, they only did Conehead skits in the 70s. They stopped... And I can imagine never, Jane never. Curtin being like, I don't want to put that shit on She's, again. I've, I've but, actually watched interviews that were talking about how difficult it was to do the makeup because mm-hmm. she said applying the makeup wasn't that hard, but getting it off because you have like minutes between sketches. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like they literally would just rip it off your head. And she, she said, every time we did it, I got welts every oh. time. And they sometimes didn't heal between episodes, you know, because I only had a week to like get my skin back in shape. Um, but they did, they did do a couple um, State Farm commercials in 2015. There were parodies cute. of other State Farm commercials. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I want to talk about the, uh, the other woman bit, uh, Jan hooks. So Jan hooks, uh, is a student of Beldar's. Uh, her name is Gladys Johnson, apparently. Uh, and she comes on real hard to, uh, Dan Aykroyd who, uh, lets her know, uh, and the most blunt, irrefutable, like unambiguous manner that they can't hook up. And he even says like, it's only natural. You would have feelings for me. Your driving instructor. <laughs> <laughs> It's a tale as old as time. <laughs> Lady falls in love with her driver's ed instructor. Of course you would. Uh, but the payoff being that um, your prime, eyes beyond your years. It's a little. It's a little thin. I, I think there's supposed to be more connective tissue that got lost in the edit. Uh, but Primat uh, Jane Curtin, she walks past Jan Hooks at the grocery store, and Jan Hooks is supposed to be dressed kind of suggestively. It's not that risque. But for some reason, it makes uh, Primat really uh, insecure about her sexuality. Like, oh, no, is Beldar not into me anymore? So Primat goes out and gets an outfit and gussies herself up to look like an Earth woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like she wears like this big ass <laughs> beehive wig. Yeah, it's like a Goldilocks Like wig. Mars Attacks type of. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I thought she was supposed to be like, uh, you know, um... Marilyn Monroe. Uh, like you know, uh, pre-revolution France, uh, <laughs> Marie Antoinette. Marie Antoinette. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bildar comes home from work one day, and there's like a bunch of candles and roses on the floor, and he follows them upstairs to their bedroom. No, no, no. He he, he goes to the fridge. It leads him to the fridge to drink a mai tai that's like the size of his head. Gold yes, yes, yes. And yes. then it just has him turn right back around to the living room, which he had to pass to get in there in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. And he sees her, and she's uh, she says like, "Hello, Earth Man," or something like that. I thought that was funny as hell. I. I I thought that was one of those ideas in a can paper I wouldn't trust, but watching it, I'm like, this is cute. This is well, what's great is also like the lead up to that is um, Jason Alexander's wife in the movie is also like trying to like not egg her on, but like she's going, oh, Beldar's seen another person, I think. And like that's oh, okay. what gets into her head. And then okay. she starts reading like trashy magazines. Oh, yeah. That she have, buys like, like a whole shopping cart full of them. Of them. <laughs> and she's like reading them. So she's clutching one in their bed. And uh, a funny gag is the. Uh, Coneheads do not lay down in bed. They yeah. stand up. They sleep vertically. They sleep vertically, but the bed is still a bed and has sheets that defy gravity. <laughs> they do that joke like two or three times. This movie it always makes me snicker. Yeah. Like they really like laid on thick, like mm-hmm. like it's a great special effect or something. And they keep treating it like a reveal. Like every time they show them in it's bed. It's like dancing they... on the ceiling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Bedside she... tables are assumably like a nail to the wall. Like, right. Yeah. But um, she and then asks, you know, Beldar, like, you know, if I were to die, would you remarry? And he goes, no, I would, you know, 
bury you as custom and then i would shit myself to death and it would be horrible and i would be sad forever because that's how much i love you and she, that and she falls in love with them all over yeah he goes you have made me proud he goes i know let's go to bed and <laughs> the first thing i thought was i have this conversation with my wife almost every night like she'll just be like dan what would you do if you murdered like how would you murder me if you really had to and like she's trying to get like how would you love me more i'm just like i saw myself in that scene and i didn't like it <laughs> i think us getting older and being kid like it being a somewhat kid friendly movie that we all got to see when we were real young makes this it's obvious that why I think this crew would be okay with the movie I'm not gonna lie I was very worried up until this morning that I was gonna be the only person that was okay <laughs> you picked a stinker I picked a we like oh come on do an what are you guy. talking about we just all happen to have watched this oh I'm movie so sorry uh, and, and in my defense, I did watch uh, Dragnet uh, this week for the first time, the 1987 Dan Aykroyd movie with Tom Hanks and some other people I don't recall. And uh, that movie was surprisingly disappointing. I thought that movie just didn't have enough gas. And uh, that movie is not Coneheads. The movie's not Coneheads. But uh, yeah, Coneheads, um, I'm, I'm glad. I, I, I think we, I, I, we're at the right age to return to it, especially you, Neil, like, you know, with, with a daughter and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, um, this this is the, this is the part of the movie where the the the, the 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 date rapey thing happens with Farley, and I don't know how else you could do it if if uh, other than the way they directed it, it's supposed to feel uncomfortable. But I do you think it's supposed to be funny that because the whole hook is that Chris Farley's character has been dating Connie for a bit, and they haven't like really they haven't even kissed yet, right? Because she's like completely asexual, and when they finally start to kiss in his car he like caresses her cone and it makes her uncomfortable. So she immediately like shoves him violently. Yeah. It's supposed to be like a, Oh, he's getting grabby. But the joke is he's grabbing her cone. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I'm so into like the mystique of the movie. I found it really uncomfortable that he was like fondling her head. Is it supposed to be funny that like, that's like supposed to be going too far. I don't know. But I mean, it's true. They do like, one thing I had forgotten about this movie is that their cones have magical powers. <laughs> we haven't even of talked about they that. Do. Every well, every once in a while, they don't do it a lot. But if they, they'll the hand drawn lightning comes out. Yeah, like lightning comes out of the tips of their cones. Ernest like, goes to jail. Lightning. Yeah. Comes out. <laughs> and like <laughs> the way they have sex is by putting senso rings, like playing ring toss with their 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 yeah. cones. Um, so it is supposed to be like some sort of strange erogenous thing with them. Um, yeah, exactly. Like it's a little, I think it's a little dark. Like, yeah. like I, I'm, I'm, I, I think it's important that he pushes her too far, uh, in some way and that he has to like earn her trust back or whatever. Plus it is funny to watch Dan Eckhart chew him out. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's what they're like. I think that's, it was meant to be a lead up to that joke of like, Oh, we're going to have the overprotective dad, which even though in this case it's incredibly justified yeah. so we can show Beldar doing an alien version of that which is he rips the top off of his car to yell at him <laughs> and then says he will make his life miserable and kill him and then he puts it all back and goes thanks for not killing destroying my car that was kind of funny my car back. to hear yeah. Chris Farley like meekishly behind metal going like alright thank you <laughs> uh, when he comes back like at the golf course I think he says like I hope you didn't hurt your hand ripping open my car <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah he basically gets back in everyone's good, good graces I think by how how does he do it he doesn't uh, it's kind of weird that he, when it comes to the scene of him getting grabby we are not supposed to be on chris farley's side yeah we're absolutely not right um it's not biff tanner bad but biff Tanner's a monster Tenin. right Tenin. apologies <laughs> that uh 
but his forgiveness from uh, Connie is not warranted either. It's just desperation. Like, please forgive me. Like he, he, he apologizes and she, she, I think, I mean, I'm putting words in the script's mouth at this point, but maybe she's just supposed to be like, all right, well, he doesn't know that this is like an erogenous zone for me, but like, I don't know. That's me being charitable. Like he's, he's played. So, ah, uh, shucks. And, um, at least he was, I think he just like, I think he didn't realize he was fucking up by touching her head. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? <laughs> like that's kind of what, that, that, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, he says he feels really bad. And I think he just, everyone just like, yeah, like it's Chris Farley. He's, he's, he, this guy can't lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's not, he doesn't have a poker face. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, that's I, I thought that that moment and um, it's also for you said movie movies an hour and twenty eight. Yeah, I mean we need some conflict. Yeah. <laughs> we got to keep things roll. Yeah, yeah, this one. Yeah, one huge strength of this film it does not waste a second. Yeah, yeah. like we we didn't write enough Michael McKean in this movie. What do we do? Oh, we make the boyfriend scum for like five minutes. Let's do that. <laughs> there yeah. conflict. That, that he he visits her when Connie's doing the um, the swim team meet uh, where she's about to do her big dive. And uh, which, of course, is supernaturally perfect. <laughs> really funny. Like that's 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 a great that's a joke that you just have to trust the the writer. Like it's gonna be funny. Mm-hmm. Like she's gonna take in the states. <laughs> which like like because the whole joke is Connie gets up on the diving board, dives, does like a somersault or whatever, and then when she lands on the water, it's so hard to describe. There's just Boom. it's like it's it's as if you had a football shaped rock. She's shaped like a torpedo. <laughs> it, it just goes right in. Shoom. That's the joke, yeah. I think. She's it's really so aerodynamic. Funny. It's so funny. Uh but Chris Farley's there apologizing and he says, That was such a jerk. And she walks away and he goes, Okay. Like like as if they're 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 fine now and she doesn't react. But that's where uh Beldar and Primat get asked to participate in more after school activities or yeah, something. someone from the PTA is like, I've never seen you at these things before because again, at this point they're actually acclimating to being suburban parents. Um, so they go to her swim meet like, Oh, Beldar, Pat, you know, I haven't seen you before. What committees are you on? And, and then they're Beldar to... says, nah. <laughs> yep. I love this part of the movie, not just this particular part, but like right now, Beldar really just, he is acclimating. He is enjoying himself. He wants but his he, golf trophy. He wants the golf trophy, but he doesn't want to admit that. He wants to go home to Remulac. Yeah. So like he just has this constant expression of annoyance to everything that is happening around him. Yes. Uh, and I just, I think it's just really perfect of like him trying to wear this mask of, no, no, I'm still a conehead. I don't want to be. Human. He's in denial. A, a blunt head. That, that they call blunt it? skull. Blunt skull. That's blunt it. skull. Blunt skull. Yeah. A lot of slurs in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Anti-human slurs. I can see myself like about to swear in front of a kid and then calling someone a blunt skull to save grace, save face. Sit here, a, you blunt skull. It's kind of a phrenology term, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Is this around when we see Beldar's ass? Yeah, or, or we at the golf course. What ass? We don't lack there. Yeah, <laughs> he's got no ass crack. He looks like that senator in the first X Men movie. He's <laughs> uh, got those two little nubs also. He's got nipples on his butt uh, for some reason. That's, just, that's it. I always, I always had like a vision of this scene, but like I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell if it was from Coneheads or from Alien Nation. The <laughs> 1988 yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mandy Patinkin. Oh yeah, movie, or the show based on it. Um, I feel like those guys also have some weird like nubs on their butts or something. You know what? I, Conan's the movie owes probably a good amount to that, right? Maybe I've never watched the whole movie. I've never, I've never seen the movie or the show. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, the movie was like, I watched a bit of it, but it was like the, the, like, uh, the satire of it was like, so 
ham-handed. I had to shut it sure. off. Sure, right. like well-intended, but like this movie by being a comedy buys it, the, the, the levity buys it a longer leash, I'll mm-hmm. say. Yeah. And again, this is still kind of body horror, but played for laughs. It, it really, is, it, there's it's a, not society. It's yeah. not like scary. It gets to society in that dentist scene, I think. I, yeah. I bet there's people, I bet there were kids freaking out in that theater when that movie came out back in the day. I'm more freaked out by his ass. How does he shit? <laughs> How does, well, we don't see his front. Out of his cone. <laughs> <laughs> going back to the dentist scene real quick. I love John Lovitz in that scene because like going back to the cone heads, no one is really paying attention to him. Again, Beldar pulls down his jaw to reveal three mouths. He wants them all capped so he looks more human. And John Lovett just stares like, all right. <laughs> and he gets the nitrous gas, realizes he can't fit it over mouth, just shoves it in the into hole. His, and then pulls out a cigarette mouth. and smokes. <laughs> just like, yeah. Get it's going to be ca- a minute. Yeah, it's going to be a minute. When I, when I watched this with Stacy, she got a good kick out of that scene. Having, you know, because she works in a dentist's office. <laughs> and like, just like the Does she of, smoke in a dentist's office too? All the time. Yeah, okay. No, they- <laughs> Um, Dan Aykroyd smokes uh, a pack at a time. I like that <laughs> shot. I really like that beat. Like, there's a lot of superfluous like bits of act, like physical comedy acting in the first 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. That there's I'm glad of, they got left in. I'm glad they like, all yeah. uh, prop guy assignments. Like, you need to like like a pack of, like a, a row of cigarettes, an entire carton of cigarettes that li- that lights up all at once. Yeah, like that must have been like a little electronic LED thing or something. They, they loved that shot of uh, Jane Curtin vacuuming with her own mouth because it's in every ad for yeah. the movie. Nope, you're right. Yeah, it's yeah. funny looking. Like, you know, and she pulls the dust out of her tongue. Like, <laughs> uh, It's like that. Uh, Connie eating the sandwich. There's a lot of mouth stuff going on in oh, this movie. Okay, the sandwich scene. Weak CGI. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Like, yeah. it's a very basic morph effect. We could do it in, like, literally 10 minutes right now in After Effects. Better. Yeah, Even 10 minutes better. They go to a subway. <laughs> it's very clearly a subway. And Connie wolfs down her sandwich in like one bite, pretty much. Uh, and Chris Farley says something to the tune of, whoa, the only other person I've seen do that is my mother, right? Or something like that. I, I thought the joke there is men want to date their mother. Women want to date their father. I thought that was the joke. Like, oh, isn't this like a romanticized beat of like oh this is why he sees her for who she is like oh like i i love her as a woman or is the joke supposed to be phallic taking- i i thought the joke was his mom was a whore <laughs> wow. yeah that's that's what i yeah that's yeah. what i was trying to politely say <laughs> i don't yeah i don't know um because watching the scene uh the cgi is a little ropey uh, it's a little botched. Uh, like if they had done it a little differently, then yeah, it would have been clearly like, oh, like you know, like oh, you know what he's thinking, you know. Uh, but instead, it's Chris Farley, and it just feels like, oh, he he loves a woman who loves food. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of Adam Sandler's character from The Water Boy and his weird relationship <laughs> with his like, yeah, mother. That it would not surprise me if Chris Farley's character, who is hammed up as childlike of whoa like my mom like you're right it could kind of is it sexual because she doesn't chew the hot dog it's like a one swallow and done absolutely is it a food joke because chris farley is a big guy it could land that way too uh is it just fucking weird <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens you give uh when you give uh dan Aykroyd like listen we're not gonna ask too many questions we need this movie out next summer what are you gonna make don't worry i've got it all under control <laughs> you get chris farley going whoa i've never seen a woman eat a sandwich like, I, don't my mom. I don't know i that, that i i I wonder who you could even ask. Like, what's the joke here? Someone please explain it to me. I think that makes it kind of a good dumb effect, but it kind of works for like a six-year-old. It kind of works for a teenager and it works for an adult to be like, whatever. 
They're like, yeah. okay, that's a bit much for pushing PG thirteen, but really, uh, yeah. It, again, it could be like, oh, I bet his, I bet his mom eats food too because he's big. Like, yep, yeah, that's exactly good Apparently, work, kid. Yeah, Apparently, you know, the, Subway the, Subway had a tie in with Coneheads in nineteen ninety three. That's funny. Uh, they sell cone shaped buns. They, yeah, they had collector cups and they had it was <laughs> they had a mass quantities deal. Nice. <laughs> know what i'm getting you for christmas and the cg in the commercial <laughs> looks better than the movie someone does the exact joke they eat a, they eat a subway sub in like two bites some kevin james in 1993 saw the effect and was like that sucks i can do better than that yeah <laughs> um for, the frank zappa song also has like a head joke like you know giving me a cone head like don't <laughs> it's so stupid it's like everything i hate about frank zappa like, <laughs> you know he was on miami vice Oh yeah, he brought up the coneheads. Uh, he makes a joke about like joking. <laughs> don't let your head poke me in the eye or something like that. Well, and then there's like a, a overwrought guitar solo, something like that. But speaking of like Miami and this movie being about immigrants, let's cut back to Michael McKean. What's he been doing? Yes. He's on a boat yelling at immigrants in Explaining. the ocean. There are no jobs for you here. You'll be a drag in our economy. We appreciate the situation you're in, but we got problems of our own. It's it's like a Mike Judge bit. Like, it's so Hank Hill, perfunctory dialogue. It's so funny. And he's been demoted, clearly. No, he hasn't been demoted yet. He's still on the trail of it. He's just doing the rest of his job in the meantime, I think. Oh, okay. And that, I think, is his job. Because then David Spade shows up and goes, hey, we got a bead. And by the way, I think we forgot to mention, Michael McKeon and David Spade have a good assumption that they are aliens. The Coneheads are aliens. They're the only people that kind of see through it, yes. other than Tom Arnold. <laughs> and so they have one of the symbols uh, that came on the robes that Beldar was wearing when they landed, mm -hmm. which he is now using as the logo for his driving instruction company. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, and good that's how they sort of... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's how they kind of lead back to how they refine the Coneheads later in the movie, who are now under yeah. the name the Coneheads also. So, yeah, they do a sting operation on them. They pretend to be Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, this is my favorite scene in the movie. And um, they let them it's in. It's Halloween, so the Coneheads are in fact dressed as... Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, a hat, the tall hat. And lipstick. <laughs> Which is later revealed to be painted on her head. Yes. It's not a, it looks like it's a, like a cap over her head, but she's wiping it off. It's later. so funny. Stacy and I said that's our, those are our Halloween costumes next year. Uh, <laughs> I love this scene. I, I feel like it really gets to the most, what's the word? Not expressive, but when you have imagery that represents the theme of the movie, not symbolism, just expressionistic. Iconography. Expressionistic, maybe. But having Beldar in an Abraham Lincoln costume sitting across from an immigration officer is saying like, yes, we are Americans. <laughs> with it being Halloween, it's the one day of the year they can get away with being overtly. They weren't planning on being in costume yeah. or it, concealing their cone heads. They just happen to be that. Any other day, November 1st, fucking cone heads. <laughs> There's so many movies where like a monster or a creature like is able to blend in because they go to a, a costume party. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and this, this it's, it's the scene. It's kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love the way Jane Curtin, by the way, they can always point out when the feds are on them. Like, it's not like they're like duped at any point. Like they know they're the feds. And I love the way Jane Curtin always goes, Mibs. For, for men in black yeah 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 oh i thought they were no i don't i think they were just saying mebs which is like one of their go-to oh i always just assume she was saying mibs and i'm no, like the men clever. in black were not in the well, i mean dan Aykroyd knew about the men yeah sure. <laughs> yeah no shit the uh i i love the reason i love this scene so much is uh jane Curtin gets to be hysterical in it she gets to do the best delivery of we are from france like the mm -hmm. the cadence of it she's kind of wall-eyed looking off like it's perfect framing of her um 
it's it's the beat where McKeon tries to catch Ackroyd off guard and he just starts speaking French to him. It's like the most dramatic dolly move of the movie. Like you don't see it coming. Like mm-hmm. it's it, McKeon's head movements. He goes from looking over at Spade to looking Ackroyd right in the eye and he starts speaking perfect French. You haven't heard any French the whole movie. You kind of don't see it coming that he's going to do it. You don't know this is on, in his skill set. Um, but it's McKean knows how to mug a lot in this movie and not go full Jim Varney with it. Mm-hmm. But there's something about the dolly in and McKean turning his chin at the exact same moment. And with then his master stroke. And then <laughs> doing the 180 to Aykroyd staring. And there's just enough of a pause before Beldar speaks in perfect French with a, a, a Coneheadian what would you call it? A, accent or affectation? He's got a, it's, there's not quite a French accent, but accents are important in French vernacular. Je m'appelle, comment ça va? Et tu? It's great. It's, it, I don't know. I, I really, that, that moment really drew me in. It kind of like got me For a me back. line like, we are from France, with no attempt at a French accent ever <laughs> as being a recurring joke from the skits. You, you really don't see this coming. That like, by the way, we've been for, pretending to be human for decades we have like if we throw that line out there i am ready for a follow-up question and you you really wouldn't think they would be because they haven't been ready for any subtlety ever i don't know it's it's just such a funny confluence of ingredients like the two coneheads in halloween costumes entertaining the feds as if they are jehovah witnesses it was, speaking french like them the camera operator the dp framing in the entire abe lincoln hat in very choice moments it's it's i, I just think it's great visual comedy it's, I, it's the big one-on-one confrontation and, and I know, this is it yeah and i'm not gonna say like i'm not gonna be an old man here and say we need more comedy movies like this i'm gonna say i'm that's i'm so appreciative that i got to rediscover this movie at this age because of scenes like that like this is the kind of thing i whine about like ah we need more comedy movies that do this and then i i just kind of rediscovered this one uh, and I'm glad to have it. I'm glad to have 90 minutes of this crap, you know, cause I'm yeah. never going to get it again. You know, I, I don't, I, I can't foresee, uh, I mean, comedy films just don't get made that often anymore. Right. And I don't know. Do you think you're going to get like Will Ferrell doing a movie? Like, I mean, he's not even, he, even he's kind of passe now. Right. Like <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, isn't going to do a Coneheads. I mean, you had that Jennifer Lawrence movie where she kind of sort of raped Matthew Broderick's son in that movie that came out earlier this year. No hard feelings. Yeah, that was it. First half is okay. Uh, then like the second half, it just doesn't have anywhere to go. That's not going to be too weird. Yeah. You know, but like that was the only thing I, that came out this year. That was just like comedy. R rated comedy. Yeah, R rated comedy. I, I also, I didn't see. Yeah. yeah. It's the, the, there's a, the, the, the funniest thing about that movie is that she just needs to make like $5,000. It's not that much money. And that's the entire like thrust of the plot. I thought that was very relatable. <laughs> yeah. But like this, this type of um like, PG is this PG 13 or PG? I think it's PG. PG. Yeah, like a PG comedy that's actually good and like has something for everyone. The director's doing a lot of work, the camera operators are doing work, the costume designs are good, the effects, there's so many different approaches to visual effects in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um the the fact that they keep figuring out new ways to show the coneheads on screen um like you know when when uh, Beldar is the taxi cab driver and he's got is it a bandana? Or, a turban. It is a turban. Yep. They like that's like a good sight gag because he's just assimilating like Yeah, because you think the joke there is like, oh, um racism, ha ha ha, he's wearing a turban. It's like, no, no, he's living underneath his boss, who is a taxi driver and does wear a turban, 
And so he just thinks, oh, that's just what I have to do. That's what I do. Because I'm an alien and that's what I think. He doesn't make any changes to no. his vernacular. He doesn't like do anything else. He just wears that because this is how I fit in here. Yep. He doesn't use makeup to darken his skin or put a dot yeah. in his forehead. He's yep. literally just hiding his cone, sort of, but it, it arguably, still pokes out at the yep, top. Not even, <laughs> yeah. not even intention. You're right. It, it, I think it is. This is what cab drivers wear. That's I, it. Now, all right. So um, they get a call from their uh, Phil from, Hartman. From Phil Hartman. Not who, the big giant head. From Remy Lack. The big giant. Um, I really like their space phone system. It's, Me you put, too. You put your whole face in, in this mask. <laughs> it's, a, it's like a super FaceTime thing. Yeah. Wicked wide angle lens. And you, they, they know Phil Hartman. You kind of associate him in this movie with that device. Mm-hmm. You know, like you get a lot of the anyways you were saying. Sorry. I don't think I even realized it was him as a kid. And I love Phil Hartman. Um, uh, and he has a he has a, one, of, one of like the big deleted scenes in this movie. Uh, has a lot more Phil Hartman in it. Yeah. Uh, without that scene, I I, I felt like uh, this is kind of a waste of Phil Hartman. Right? Oh sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, like uh, they're they're sending the rescue squad to come get them, and so the, the coneheads are freaking out. Um, but tonight's when they're giving out the trophy at the golf course. <laughs> exactly. That's the and that's it's the prom. Problem. I think. No. Yeah. But, no. You're right. It's junior prom. The, it's the, the country club ho- Halloween party, which is also the award ceremony for best golfer improved. And the feds are coming. And the aliens are coming. <laughs> yep. Busy Halloween. It's a hell of a Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> so this, I, I wonder, for the team, do we think that the Remulacians, the Coneheads, do we think that the Conehead Central on their home planet of Remulac, um have like sent a ship like four years ago and we're just telling you now that it's arriving right now or do they just we could have come anytime it would take us an hour it's the latter it's got it i think it's like once you meet dave thomas as like the high master i think yeah this is not a competent society (laughs) society is shit (laughs) oh we could have come at any time they hit the the moon on the way out Oh man, it's got it's got some proto Mars attack stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Only they can you know speak in complete sentences. And you know when we get to this delightful party, where where Dan Aykroyd wins the trophy, I just love this like almost yeah. Madonna. Like I don't even know what you'd compare it to. It it's so ridiculous. They might as well be playing like Princess Song Party Man at this point. Yeah, it's so ridiculous, and he just. His face lighting up puts a smile on my face. It's so wonderful. Like I, I, I just I sent Dan a a, a gif of that uh, gif, right? Gif, gif, gif. It's apparently gif, right? Like I the J, GIF. not the creator says it's gif. That's which nice. Is, That's which not bullshit. how language works. Yeah. Um, but 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 he's I, I sent Dan a, a, an animation of that exact <laughs> shot where like the spotlight gets uh, Beldar in his Abe Lincoln costume in a sea of people because he's won the most improved golfer. Not, yeah, not the best golfer. <laughs> not like the lowest golf score, the best improved, which good for you. And I said to Dan and Dan wrote back like, I, I was just, what did you say? Like, I, I took a note about that shot. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I took a note about that. Well, because... It's a weird scene because... Um, it's cut down a lot. Yeah, it's, it's cut down. It, it cuts to him like dancing. He doesn't have his hat any anymore. He's no. kind of It's supposed to be around. a dance scene and they just yeah. like kind of fast forward through it. Yeah, but, yeah I, I assume there was some like weird you know like physics stuff that he does or whatever they set up this scene and they they do set up his reaction too because like jason alexander is with him at the bar one first convincing him like oh if you need a toupee Mm -hmm. guy 
I can help you out, but he's doing it like in like double on not double like sexual double entendres, but like entendres like to not say the word wig. Yeah, um, he's trying to be very polite about like his insecurity. Oh, he's bald, but he doesn't want to talk about it. Yes, which is really him just projecting his own. Yeah, this uh, might problems. surprise you, but this isn't my own hair. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, um, and they're looking at the trophy. And he's telling him, like, I think you're going to win it, Beldar. And, like, Dan Aykroyd is like, I have no interest in winning this award. Like, if I were to win, and it is most likely, I will just not react at all. Like, he's saying, like, I don't care about this. This is an Earth thing. I don't want it. And it's him, again, himself projecting that he doesn't want to fit in. But he really does. And when he gets the award, still not surprised, though, he's very happy. He's very exuberant. And that's why he kind of goes into it. He's like, ha, me? Oh, no. <laughs> it doesn't say words. It's the, all The edit's smart physical. because they probably realize, like, the, the comedy of this beat peaks with that expression on his face. You got to just look it up. Just look up Conehead's trophy scene. It's You'll know the shot when you see it. <laughs> it is funny. Yeah. Um, but meanwhile, like, uh, yeah, the, uh, the INS guys are on his tail at the party, right? I, yeah. I kind of started to lose the plot at this point. Um, then what happens? They're trailing him because they want to figure out him. where he's yeah. currently living or something. Well, they know, goes though. To, they were at his house. Yeah, yeah. Ackroyd goes to Connie and like, by the way, like we're leaving tonight. Uh, so go break up with Chris Farley. And it's not the prom, by the way. He's it's the costume part of the prom is like the stinger. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and she's like, I don't want to go because you have to. Like, I'm your father. Listen to me. And so like, she tries Speaking to run. Speaking low tones. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so she runs away with Chris Farley back to the house to uh, lose her cone virginity uh where <laughs> where they all go back to the house which includes michael mckean david spade the feds um and mom and dad's sex toys to keep under the bed yes they can, where'd you find that under the bed <laughs> the sensor rings uh, and so rings. the feds have them surrounded. Uh, they're like, give it up, Conehead. Like, McKean has rehearsed this speech. Like, he, he's ready to nail him, complete his job, and then get his promotion finally after all these years. Um, and then they send Chris Farley out in, uh, I, I call it the Cone Cycle. Yes. Because uh, they have, like, Conehead motorcycle helmets as a decoy. Uh, yeah, with a bumper sticker on the back that says "Helmet Laws Suck." Yeah, <laughs> yes, I can see a cone-headed person not appreciating having to wear. I can see Ralph Nader not appreciating. <laughs> Keep your hands off my cone! Um, Don't tread on me. So they capture Chris Farley. Like he gets maybe fifty yard, fifty yards down the road. He doesn't like lead them away for the coneheads to escape. The coneheads then go through. Uh, the garage door they do a quick turn i thought because he had been a driver he'd been a driving instructor they could do into a chase similar to blues brothers he does like one turn gets right back caught in the cul-de-sac and they go well that's it yeah we got you conehead um that, that's even a line we got you conehead dan Aykroyd's <laughs> like an actual stunt driver too so like mm -hmm. i was kind of expecting more of it but that's it's kind of like i wouldn't say funny but like oh they're no they're trapped like rats they're yep. done yeah until the romulacs show up yeah Right and above them, there's right, a, a beam from above. Right out of Close Encounters. It's a pretty cool uh, flying saucer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's very cool looking. I, I think the, the direction here is great. I love McKeon waving his badge. He's actually imposing. It's scary. You see this, like, innocent family about to be imprisoned or worse. <laughs> yep. Uh, for just... Sent back to France. <laughs> yes. Sent back to France. <laughs> well, that... <laughs> 
doesn't that come up in an earlier scene where they're like they kind of get the idea that they're aliens like shouldn't we like call the air force like look at when they're in the sky sure that's the air force but when they really? start trying to yep. work here <laughs> <laughs> it's my job uh, you you really needed an actor as good as michael mccann to make this work i i feel like i've seen so many crappy comedy movies that would do stuff like this but the actors are just going through the motions like saying lines and it not leaving an impression but yeah. no mccann makes a lot of this movie i'm reminded of uh sam neill in uh memoirs of the invisible, invisible man, man. Yeah, yeah similar kind of <laughs> mm-hmm. it's not easy to <laughs> it's not easy when you're a freak <laughs> <laughs> and so he grabs onto the bumper of their car mm-hmm. like like the Michael metaphorical McKean, yeah. yes like the metaphorical dog if he caught a car he wouldn't even know what to do with it yeah and then david spade grabs onto his leg like the sycophant he's been the whole time it's a funny image tractor beamed up into the yep spaceship. they're up in it i don't know what you were thinking would happen baldar's making the funniest damn face <laughs> he's so happy and this is where connie yells out the window to chris farley that she loves him and it cuts to chris farley in the back of a police car handcuffed and he leans out the window and just screams in that very boisterous chris farley way that only he could do like i love you and then a fed just shoves his head back in the car <laughs> shut up says, asshole, shut up, asshole. <laughs> I don't know. That's a great beat. <laughs> Might have been a joke they came up with in post. Like, just call him an asshole. It makes the scene funnier because he's braying like an idiot. And then we get to go to Remulac. Oh, my God. It's so cool. It's cool. <laughs> There's real grandeur here. And and yes, the it's not Randy Newman. It's a, a, a lesser Newman. But here's David where the score. Newman. Thank you. David Newman. His name is David, not lesser. <laughs> it's, it's lesser Newman. David the lesser Newman. Lesser Newman. Um, they make you kind of in awe that rent for 1993 CGI. Um, this is where the money went. They did a good job of the, world building. There's like one CGI shot where you really, it's like the one real CGI shot mm-hmm. of the planet. And it's got limited color. Like, I don't know if there was like a render issue on top of the limitations of time that they had. Like, listen, this movie's coming out quick. You don't have a lot of cash. Jurassic Park's taking up all the render farms in Hollywood. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? But there, a lot of it is like matte paintings and just like cool, basic optical effects. And The Wonder, I think, is a combination of, to your point, Ryan, David Newman's music and Aykroyd's literal, like, glazed over, like, Ram, you're like, like, he's so happy to be home. It's been almost 20 years. Yeah. He sells it. He sells like, this, totally, is, yeah. this is wonderful. Without that performance, it wouldn't, it, 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 it fools you into thinking it's, like a Spielberg movie for that one beat. It's yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, movie. Dan Aykroyd in real life, I think would cream his jeans to <laughs> see an alien planet. I thought there'd be a nice quote on the screen while they're showing Remulac and full, like this is what Dan Aykroyd actually believes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just think about this, like SNL movies at the time were like Wayne's world. We're, in between <laughs> we're Wayne, not this. We're in between Wayne's world and like night at the Roxbury. And so this swings for the fences with that stuff. Like it's, it wants the grandeur, you know? Mm-hmm. And but only for, in the last 20 minutes. Yeah. For all the great, you know, side parts, little roles. Uh, yeah. A, a million, million cameos. This is the first part of the movie where we get tons and tons of extras all moving as cone heads. Oh, my God. Which meant they had to train them to some capacity. Which meant you had to take time to get this many people costumed and coned and ready. It's <laughs> costumed, really funny to look at, like, the crowd scenes and just, like, pick one person and just watch their, mm-hmm. their cone performance. <laughs> no, you're right. Um, but yeah, this is where, uh, yeah, they, they link back up with, um, uh, Phil Hartman and Lorraine Newman, right? Yeah. Is that her name? Yeah. And, uh, 
they have a big deleted scene, which you should check out because it's got, they're eating, they're eating a bunch of green shit. It's all over their mouths. And if, and this would have aired on TV, I think. Um, yeah. But uh, you do get some more, uh, some good um, Phil Hartman uh, just acting like, like they're just, they're alien chauvinists, I guess. You kind of realize that, oh, the high and mighty Remulac is like, not a good place yeah um uh, these people are racist against earthlings uh to the point where uh beldar kind of comes to earthlings defense like there's a there's a line where phil hartman says like is it true that uh they uh the blunt skulls the blunt skulls uh reproduce copiously so that they may eat their firstborns and (laughs) 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 and um and it's really nice because Remulac says, like, no, they uh, they actually have quite a deep uh, affection for their offspring, just as we do. And then Phil Hartman makes fun of him and says, like, do I smell an earthling? No, it is Remulac. <laughs> <laughs> it is Beldar. <laughs> or, sorry, yeah, Beldar. Um, Beldar is such a fun fucking Beldar, Remulac. I love the alien words in this yep. movie. Uh, let's see. Phil Hartman plays Marlax. Marlax. And uh, Dave Thomas plays Highmaster. Very, like... Monty Python vibes here with him like that the level of just like ego and unfettered uninterrupted accomplishment in his life he hasn't done shit he just sits around barking stupid orders it's clearly the same two orders over and over again uh he expects a uh, to be flourished with uh gifts from Earth that the Conehead family will provide. Well, we have spent 20 years abandoning you. Clearly, you spent the whole time getting things for us, right? Mm-hmm. But no, right? he just has stuff that was in his car. Yeah, Veldar, uh, Veldar and Primat just have shit from a the tire car. Iron. A it's tire kind of iron. funny. You, uh, you gave me a Christmas present today. One of the things was a air freshener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they also give them Michael McKean and David Spade as like the human slaves. Uh, yeah. And they're dressed with collars, which... I think Neil, you had called back earlier yep. about the call. It took scene. me until today to realize that. It's but good like, shit. Oh, yeah, Comeuppance. Yeah. They yeah, make Michael McKeon do a backflip. <laughs> it's good <laughs> shit. It's kind of a cool torture, actually. Yeah. Well, I love it because Michael McKeon gets presented as like an Earth slave for the uh, Remulac Highmaster. Yep. And uh, Michael McKeon's still not getting it. The whole dog catching car, not knowing what to do. He's still acting like he has the upper hand here. He's yeah. like, oh, the United States government will frown upon this and da 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 No, it's like uh, the, the U.S. government is not responsible for the galaxy's uh, employment problems because, again, <laughs> in his mind, the Coneheads came to Earth to get a job. He's still uh, not he's, getting yeah, it. He's he, has still... One, he has one mode. It's great. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't want to forget to mention that the uh, the design of the High Masters, like, chamber area includes, like, several other Conehead Remulacians who are like <laughs> who, real, real, real quick? None of us have gotten this down. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I think I called them code headians. <laughs> and we're never got. We're not gonna. Anyways, they're, but they're, but okay. The high masters, about, some the members of the, members of the royal, uh, you know, like who, like the high masters or court or whatever. Yeah, who are just like built into these tapestries, and they just. Like are lowered down from the ceiling every once oh, in a while. Oh, what's that called? What's that called? Like uh, a Cirque du Soleil type of. Yeah, yeah Pink, uh, Pink does it. The the singer. It's, yes. It's um, oh my god, Stacy. What's that? What's that kind of dancing people do where they're in like silk trappy sheets? Yeah, for, like hanging from the ceiling and they're like dancing in them. Oh, Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but like shit. 
The audience knows what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah it's yeah, a form yeah. of acro- air acrobatics and what. They're kind of doing that, but they're but it's they're, done no, 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 It's it's not acrobatic. I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea here. They're literally just like the council elders, but they because they're like higher status, they have to live up on the ceiling and get lower down. <laughs> they're just kind like, of flailing in the it's, sheets. It's just so ostentatious. Like these are like. I don't know. It's like trying to build up this mystique, but you know how stupid the whole thing is. It's very Invader Zim, the yeah. tallest. Yeah, yeah, the tallest. Totally. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's so good and pulpy, and um, yeah, it's uh, Dave, <laughs> Dave Thomas from uh, SCTV mm-hmm. and from um, Rat Race. And... Yeah, and, and yeah, and and other things. And other things. Uh, as the High Master, he's his cone has a little kink in the tip, which I which always really bothered me as a kid. It's deliberate, but it's like. He's he's so old, his cone is like bent a little bit at the end. The makeup people on this must have had a fucking hate. Like, like was it meant to be that he was old, or was that like he was dropped on his cone and he's the royal know. guy, and that's why he's a little bit like off? I don't know. He's got he's got like liver spots and stuff. Yeah. I love his crown that like is like be halfway up the head. Like it's like, I, I the design of some of these other Ramulakians. Remulacites, uh, they there there's a there's some crazy makeup diversity here, um, especially in the scene where we see the, the next big scene, uh, like the gladiatorial scene, where if you just like pause and look around, there's like dozens of people in this makeup, and it's all over the place. Like it's not just the exact same. Like okay, you get a cone, you get a cone, you get a cone. Like they the makeup artists do like, okay, you're like an older cone head. You're a younger cone head. You have like a tattoo. You have like, mm-hmm. like liver spots. You're like, I don't know. It's like, it's good. I it's mean, you, so you well considered the old, the old skits. Like the cone heads are just wearing these like really cheap silver cowls over their clothes. It's very Krypton. It. It's very yeah. Marlon Brando Krypton. Um, but yeah. it's like, you know, cheap. Dog, it's dog shit. Like, <laughs> 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 but uh, uh, yeah, the costumes in this movie are pretty cool. Yeah. Like they look great. So Ryan, what does uh, the high master think of his gifts? Which, what do they include? Uh, Beldar provides him a tire iron, a tire iron, the <laughs> user's manual to a Ford Lincoln Mercury Sable, <laughs> <laughs> some chewing gum. <laughs> oh, which by the way, this is, is a running, it? running gag. Yep. It's just a condom. He's just chewing on a, blowing it up like a balloon. Like it's a dumb joke, but it, it lands. Is this the it first lands. movie that does this? I think so. Sure. It's gotta be right. Any of you ever done this? Filled no. precedent. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can remember as a kid not getting that joke. I, I remember not getting it either. Yeah, like, hard, oh, that, absolutely. That gum, that gum looks weird. <laughs> I, I, Dan Aykroyd playing to his, his roots of, I'm just going to say a bunch of technical jargon mm-hmm. very quickly, uninterrupted. Like an auctioneer that a very, a, a, a crazy <laughs> skill most people just cannot do. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, which he's so good at. It's such a, like a fast track cheat code, like just saying stuff in that alien voice, Mercury Sable. Like, it's funny. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I totally, Neil, you mentioned earlier, and I think I do remember my parents talking like this. Like yeah. when I was a kid, just like saying stupid, like cone and stuff. I think the uh, cone carbonated beverages, consumption. Been, were they like the big hit of that era of SNL? Certainly one of them. My, I remember like what was a bigger skit than that? I, I want to say the uh, Blues Brothers. Right? Blues Brothers, the restaurant that Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd were like, no Coke, Pepsi, which mm. was like a, kind of a similar gag of like, hey, we're just going to say things in a, a weird accent. That was a bit more, I think, racially charged, but not like in a, just in of the era of the time. Yeah. Um, that's they're, the only thing I can think. They're in other. Yeah. yeah. They're in other. Um, I, I do. My mother yeah, and I, once when I was a kid, were playing Scrabble and, um, I was so frustrated. I was probably like in first grade and 
I, I, I had almost every letter I needed to spell Equinox, but I, I didn't have the last X. So I was like, I, sh- I remember telling my mom, I just got to show you what I've got. And like, I was like, I was like six, right? So I wrote out Equino, right? Without the X. Mm-hmm. And my mom started laughing and she started going like Equino. And to this day, my mother and I, if we think something's weird, she'll say, that's kind of Equino. <laughs> that's cute. But I think the way she said that, it was informed by the Coneheads. I'll bring it up. I'm seeing her. I'm seeing her tomorrow. Astronauts to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> Does Dan Aykroyd believe in the moon landing? Yeah, of course. Okay. Because <laughs> that one line, I'm just like, he believes in aliens. He believes in ghosts. He believes in paranormal. But like, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't oh, trust maybe. the U.S. Okay. government. I, I thought the joke was how cute it was that, oh, we got to the moon. How stupid is that? That like, could be it. So, I, I could like, be reading to, too much. Remulakians, that's pathetic. That's like yeah. tying your shoes for the first time. Yeah. Um, but he gets in trouble. Because um, the high master doesn't like the gifts. Well, no. And until he gets he in trouble because of his teeth. Yep. Oh. That's that the heresy. The, the grave sin that he has committed in this. Dis- Abomination this or something dis- like that. This despotic, I mean, it couldn't be further from America. Um uh, society that he has longed to return to. And he was like, well, I changed my teeth to blend in and survive because you abandoned, you clearly could have shown up yesterday. Marlax goes up to bat for him. This yes, is like yes. so awful. <laughs> I love how awful it is after all. Like the, no, no, you're going to see it at some point. Like, oh, it's so beautiful and everything about it is just, it just comes down to one like dipshit Caesar that only has like one yeah. coming. <laughs> no, it's great. It's, it's like a, it's, a uh, very pulpy, very Ming the Merciless kind of yeah. uh, shindig they got going on here. So he, the one sentence is like a, gladi- a gladiator, you know, death where you have to fight an animal, kind of like in Star Wars. Um, it's a centaur beast, too. It has it's, four awkward... It's a, when you finally get a good wide shot of the thing, it's awesome. It's cool. It's Phil fucking Tippett doing yep. a mm-hmm. stop-motion monster. Yep. Um, uh, just... Awesome. Uh, really cool. Me and Ming were like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> when the Garthok came out. When the Garthok were like, ooh, it's one of these. Like it's either going to be really bad CG or the coolest thing in the world because mm-hmm. it's the early 90s. This is what Phil Tippett was doing instead of Jurassic Park in 1993. He was, oh, he worked in Jurassic Park. He right. was a dinosaur wrangler. Well, I think he probably. <laughs> That's literally his title in the credits. <laughs> he probably had all this time booked out. He's like, I'm going to do the stop motion for Jurassic Park. You're what? <laughs> You're... <laughs> well, I'll show you. Dan Aykroyd's online, yeah. too. <laughs> Which, by the way, I looked, up, <laughs> I looked it up. Uh, Coneheads opened at number six below Jurassic Park. Right below Jurassic Park. So wait, Phil Tippett had two films come out in 1993 with special effects that he had worked on. And which both include prominent cast members of Seinfeld. I've never made that connection before. <laughs> yeah. A lot of overlap Man. there. Oh, what a time to be alive. Was this like Phil Tippett's like last mainstream movie, you think? Um, Because prob- Howard the maybe. Duck was a couple years prior. And... That was in the mid-80s, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I can't think of I, anything. I, I, I think... <laughs> I want to I say he did kind of transition to working in CGI to some degree. I'm not sure. Yeah. But I think he... He, did, I think I mean, he worked on Starship Troopers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Ming pointed out the uh, the gladiator arena looks like a cheesecake factory. I thought. That was <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, um, we get to see some 
I remember being pretty disturbed as a kid seeing all these uh, conehead body parts flying yeah. all over the place. <laughs> Dan caught something I didn't notice before. Yeah, I noticed Dan, if you will. When this poor is funny, Tim right? at SNL. Yeah, Tim so Tim Meadows is in it in a very brief scene. Uh, there's a couple of other coneheads going into this essentially death sentence against the, like, the Garthak. No one wins. No yeah. one wins. You have to narfle the Garthak. Narfle the Garthak. Yeah. <laughs> and Tim Meadows plays athletic cones. Yes, he plays athletic cones. Uh Tim Meadows is a uh, a black man. He goes out there. He fights. He goes, don't worry. I got this. I'm going to kill it. The guy dies immediately. An arm is thrown to indicate that he has been ripped to shreds. The arm is white. <laughs> Makes you wonder if they shot more of this scene with like another Conan. That's my guess. I'm guessing it's just a goof. It wasn't like a... Yeah. Anything else besides like, like oh, we filmed la- a couple. How, of, and how we, lazy could you be to it? Like, like, yeah. be on set and not be like, dude, like, <laughs> like five guys die before we get to Dan Aykroyd fighting really the thing. Good, the bickering before. Uh, so Beldar is waiting with other cone men who are now in like ceremonial warrior garb, which is like, like a kind of like a toga mixed with like a bathrobe. Yeah, that's that's close enough. And like, and it's like it's like they do nothing to obscure the fact that Dan Aykroyd is not in shape. He is like mid 40s this point right mm-hmm. he looks as schlubby as can be and i'm here for it i love it because he it, it makes him fighting the monster all the more exciting in my opinion oh yeah he doesn't have any hair on his cone but he has plenty of hair on his chest hey you know what i'm cool with it <laughs> need more of that in movies god damn it like uh, they like don't like shave everybody down it's it's weird to make infantile men out of every man in a movie these days and it, it, it you know you're watching an older movie when you see this shit mm-hmm. you know what i'm getting yeah. at like but uh, Dan Aykroyd being shirtless would never happen in 2024, I guess. Uh, Unless they were poking fun at, oh, he's shirtless and he's ugly. Yeah. That yeah. would be the joke. And this, it's more yeah. like he yeah. just looks like he's got nothing. He's got nothing special. He's in between other athletic cone people. Yes. And uh, there's a great bit where <laughs> the, the guards are trying to pull the next warrior to go narfle the Garthak. And they pick a guy who is clearly behind Dan Aykroyd in line. And they go, you, you're next. And he tries to like talk his way out of it. He's like, no, clearly Beldar is next in line. And Beldar's like, no, 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 you may go first. Like, it's just like the- you were ahead of me in the sentencing chamber. <laughs> sentencing chamber. It's almost that Beetlejuice joke of switching the number yeah. with the guy who shrinks heads yep. of like, no, 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 it's you're, you're up now. Like, yeah, it's, it, it's, a, it can be played so many different ways, but this one lands. Not yep. that the Beetlejuice doesn't land too. I also love in the scene, like, Connie, who's, this is her first time to Remulac. Like, she knows she's, she's an alien. Horrified. She's horrified, but she also keeps asking questions and no one's answering it. Like, in a lesser movie, I think, would have been like, oh, yes, there's this and this. They would have done some lore explanation. She's like, what's the Garthak? And, like, Phil Hartman's character's like, it's hungry tonight or something like that. It's the perfect vehicle <laughs> yeah, for exposition. Yeah. And rather, also, it, it, it's more character-based writing. Yeah. It's like her asking in horror and everyone else is just drooling with excitement. Like Even her about, mother yes. is not like, what's <laughs> also, by the way, this is like a celestial event where all three of their moons line up in the sky mm. and you realize like the logo on his uh, his robes that was like a plot point earlier is the moons. Yeah. And that's kind of like a big cool review. Uh, the majesty reveal. of this is you get to watch other Conan people get eaten by a monster. <laughs> I love that. Like, what what is a Garthok? And someone says, these are great seats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just quoting the movie like V for V. It's fun. It's I, I don't know. Like I, I do. I keep going back to I wonder if younger people would find this just uh quaint right it's got to be quaint to people who are like under 20 i would love to be a fly on the wall of some or just to be in an audience of folks who never saw this to go oh the thing he learned on earth golfing yeah (laughs) is the skill that ended up saving his ass when no one else has ever not fold the garthak 
<laughs> now, as a kid, I earlier in the movie they show uh, the teenage girls being driven by uh, by Beldar by Beldar. How could I forget a name like that? The, the teenage girls, by the way, I don't know if we said it on mic. Oh, yeah, we did. We did. Yeah. 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 The three girls. Okay, sorry. Yeah, the three Parker girls Posey. from uh, Dazed and Confused. Dazed and Confused. Yeah. Uh, but they're listening to Soft Cell's version uh, of uh, uh, Tainted Love mm-hmm. on the radio. It gets a nice prominent, you know, needle drop in there, and um, and that song gets reprised with by Beldar. by Beldar while he's like trying to fight the monster, like he's buying time or something. Yeah, he starts singing it, and everyone hears it, and it's like kind of an odd moment because you feel like, oh, this song is gonna rescue him somehow, but it's not. It's just a callback to a song that showed up earlier, and it kind of doesn't mean anything but as a kid I, like that moment felt like oh it all comes full circle like this is the yep. theme song of the movie I, I think it's supposed to underline the golf thing uh of, but yeah i agree it's not like he's using it to like distract the garthok he doesn't no, it like gives him away if anything yeah yeah maybe that's what's supposed to be but like maybe, for some reason they do the action of him building the golf club as he's singing it mm-hmm. right like i i, I would have you know I love when they cut to like David Spade though in this. He's like he's kind of like the explaining what the song is it's like. Very oh, popular, very man. popular on Earth. He's kind of like <laughs> schmooze still. The sync of the the, the the cadence of Aykroyd's voice in that scene, plus that song being a very stilted, perfect song choice. Like you couldn't do that with any other. Like that, uh, it's uh. the right song. <laughs> it's funny because it's not a '90s song. It's an early '80s song that kind of like. I wonder if it charted because no, it didn't chart because of this movie. But was it on the soundtrack? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Which they repressed recently, like in twenty nineteen. What? Hell yeah! Yeah, they put it out on vinyl for the first time. Was it Mondo or something? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, okay. It's like three companies that are doing that these days. Dan Aykroyd, if he ever wanted to do like a charity album for something, <laughs> he could just like take a bunch of like cheap cover songs and just do them as Beldar, and I'd I'd pay for that shit. Oh hell yeah! The, I, hit, I, the I, hits with Beldar. Yeah. Conehead Christmas. Conehead Christmas. <laughs> Conehead Christmas, and none of the songs are about Christmas. <laughs> it's like Thunder Road, <laughs> Purple Rain. <laughs> so he kills the monster. Oh, yeah. He, he, yeah, he shoots a like rock down its throat. Using golf techniques. Mm-hmm. Yep. Monster has a cool, like, red POV, too. Yeah. And, like, there's, like, at one point where, like, it shows its POV while he's, like, holding the stick in its mouth. Yeah. It looks like That's he's holding cool. a, uh, like, a GoPro on a stick or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like Dan Aykroyd like lining up the shot in the close up of his eyes to show like I'm gonna it's it's a it's a cool shot it of like yeah. In. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah. he's like no like this is the most, this might be the most serious this film ever gets yeah so I'm gonna own it I'm gonna make it work yeah the the, the, the movie has um just enough vegetables in terms of all the immigration parable like the American dream stuff and it also has just enough sci-fi majesty for my palette, like, okay, cool. Like he's being resourceful. Hey, look how cool this planet looks. This music rocks. Like there's, there's just enough gravity to the movie. Like it's, you know, there's no ironic detachment to it. You know, mm-hmm. like it's, it's, it's an ironically detached movie would never bother to have the spectacle in this last act. I think, you know, a Ryan Reynolds movie would not do this, you know? Yeah. So he, he kills the Garthak and that gives him the ability to go up to the high master Remulican. Um, and he gets that allows him a, a wish, and, <laughs> <Yes>. one <laughs> twisted metal. Yes, <laughs> and he's like, "Hey, I, I want to go back to Earth and conquer it for Remulac, and also though I want to take back." Uh, and he very much specifies the high-ranking 
uh, Blunt Skull. Oh, yeah, they, Michael they, McKean. He says, I want to bring back the Earth Slaves. And they go, you may take one. Great. I will take the higher rank. And then Michael McKean just leans out of, into shot. Just goes, thanks. <laughs> Big thumbs up. In case you're worried about David Spade. Don't David's, be. yeah, don't be. He's going to fit right in. He's he's already like, you know, trying to be like. His sycophantry will help yeah, him. He's, he's going to be the yes man. Yeah, His ass kissing translates straight to those crackless nippled asses. <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of this episode. <laughs> Crackless <laughs> nippled asses. <laughs> now, why don't we just call it the Conehead movie? <laughs> A Conehead Christmas. <laughs> That's the album, actually. Did we never bring up Christmas? So, uh, they... Uh, Dan Aykroyd in his new Cone war vessel uh, has his family. He has a whole Mike, armada. And a whole yeah. armada behind him has his family, has Michael McKean. He goes to Earth. He goes, I'm going to go down first and, like, scope things out. Uh, and he preps the ship for destruction because he's pulling a little fast one on them. He's going to take Connie home because Connie doesn't want an earth ruled planet. She wants to just be with Chris Farley. She wants to be a normal uh, American girl. Yeah. Uh, so he leaves a quick transmission like, oh no, the earth, uh, the blunt skulls have lasers and stuff. Danger, like, danger, abort immediately. Yeah, something like that. Flee, retreat. Uh, and so they the play it like earth has like, yeah, like a uh, star Wars uh, weapons. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Um, so he then blows up the thing. Turbo uh, lasers. He has, like, <laughs> yeah, like Reagan era. No, shit, but that's, the Death Star, that's yeah. like literally a weapon. Deploy the Wars. turbo lasers. No, I mean like the Star Wars program. Oh, I know what yeah. you mean, but I was just, Ryan and I, I remember seeing episode seven in theaters. And I'm, lasers, I'm, I'm, yes. I'm, for those who don't know, I'm not a big Star Wars guy. And when Ron Weasley's older brother, Hux, Huxley, when the, the redhead Hux, just, yeah. says, deploy the turbo lasers. I laughed out loud in the theater Amongst a sea of men who did not think that was funny. It is funny, it, and it's supposed to be it's funny. It's fucking stupid. They're Get not just it. lasers. They're turbo <laughs> lasers. Much bigger. <laughs> Much faster. <laughs> yeah, faster force, faster turbo. They play this for tension. Like, you don't know whether or not he's going to really try to conquer the Ur. Mm-hmm. Is Beldar going to go turncoat? You know? yeah, 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 so yeah. he fakes his death. Um, the Remulac... Uh, sh- Fleet leaves yeah. with David Spade. By the way, the music while they're approaching Earth, very straight up Beetlejuice ripoff. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, make it sound more like the temp track. One of those situations. Right. Uh, and then he turns to Connie and he's just like, look at, you know, it's not about my happiness or, you know, it's not about Remulac, but how many times can a father say he's given his daughter the world? It's great. It's a great ending. It is. It's really and, good. Uh, yeah, I, I put your happiness above all else. <laughs> what kind of a father would I be? He releases Michael McKean, but like he gives him a life bargain, which is just like leave green us card. Al- yeah, yeah, you give us a green card, leave us alone. And <laughs> but Michael McKean like still won't give it up. He's still like, okay, but you must like. What does he say? I forget. It's something like he's still like. Nitpicking. I forget what the I forget what it's the like, bargain is. Don't, you still owe back taxes. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I that's can probably control it. your. I could probably blow your head off your neck. Oh, yeah, I could probably do that with this space slave collar thing. That like, yeah. I mean, like you have no cards here. Why do you have no? Yeah, why are you still like speaking from? And also, you're like in your boxer shorts and your long stupid <laughs> socks. Uh, and then so then we cut to a couple <laughs> months later. It's junior prom night. Chris Farley shows up in that like classic baby blue yep. tux that no one ever actually wears uh picks up connie and then they 
right off to prom after he gets they, a nice dose of radiation from yeah, <laughs> some bizarrely like yeah Beldar says like may I have 55 words with you yeah. it, did anyone count the words no, no. But 52 that is a, you did no no I, I've watched a video where it's proven that's the exact amount it's he said 55 55 though. whatever it is oh. like, he says the exact amount <laughs> I thought you were like saying like no he falls short but it is, I got, like I was saying the lack of learning cur- he, there's a learning curve which actually succeeds in terms of recognizing personal space but this is the first time he almost speaks like a human being of acknowledging, like, perhaps you should take my car, which is statistically safer and better designed than that rusted piece of shit you got. That's the beauty of the joke, because he says exactly how many words he will say. And, like, he's doing, like, a Dan Aykroyd, like, basimatic, like, spiel with, like, controlled camera movements and everything. And then he ends it on dot, 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 shitbox. Like, that's, like, the last Absolute shitbox. Rusted out (laughs) shitbox you drive. Like, as long as you're driving my dog. Like, an actual father. Yeah, that's what you should do. If you're you're driving my daughter, which I don't like, but here we are. Yeah. uh, I'm acknowledging. I'm not one of those weird dads that, like, stands there with a gun at the door. But you did literally a... like like make it physical advances I... to my daughter that made her upset. Yeah, it, it's not like just the generic like you know uh, conservative nice, American like yeah. like yeah like there's more to it than that. But the fact that he meets him in the middle on like yeah, I, it's a cute ending. Like everything's wrapped it up is. well. And he takes a he takes the photo with like it's not of course it's not a normal cam camera. It's like a gadget camera that's got all this shit attached. <laughs> it's probably to it. made out of like a bug zapper. I feel like that's very Dan Aykroyd, like because he loves Toyetic. contraptions and yeah. stuff. Yeah. There's 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 some nice contraptions in this. Movie. I look I looked up the bargain Beldar makes with Seedling. <coughs> oh yeah. And he says, I make this proposal to you, Earth creature, your life in return for a green card. And Seedling, Michael McKeon says, Agreed, provided that you can demonstrate a special job skill that a US citizen does not possess. <laughs> and Beldar says, That should represent no challenge to me. <laughs> Good. Move. <laughs> and then shocks him. <laughs> <And he shocks. laughs> so the the end the end with uh, uh Primat and Beldar looking at the prom photo. Mm-hmm. And uh, which is also like six feet tall. <laughs> Some... Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, can't take my eyes off of you, as covered by Morton Harkett from Aha. Oh, oh. yeah. Which uh, the the famous Aha Take on Me video, directed by the director of this movie. Delightful. Yeah. In the end, everything wrapped up with a nice cone shaped bow. Yeah, the audience feels good. I feel good. Yeah. Watching it again. It was, it was fun. It was really fun going back to this one. And we yeah. got that really nice cone shaped font that we all talked about yes. before we started. We didn't bring it up. <laughs> I, I was gonna, I wanted to bring it up first because it's the first thing you see in the movie yeah. before the Twin Towers. And <laughs> it's, thank you. <laughs> Okay. And it's a it's a great font actually. It looks really nice, and you can download it if you want to use it in your emails. Danacroid.net. <laughs> <laughs> no, the font is called Beldar. Oh yeah, that's is a, it? That's appropriate. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, it's on Deviant Art. Beldar. <laughs> I'm li- I'm not joking. That's exactly right. Yep. Okay, yeah, we'll use that for. Uh, you know, yeah, New Year, New Us. Every guaranteed video thumbnail from here on out will use the Beldar. <laughs> it's <right>. from France. <laughs> Uh, and uh, yeah, it wraps up. What do you think the um, if there had been a sequel, what do you think the plot would have been? I, that, I mean, if this movie was like a huge hit and they had to make one, mm-hmm. they'd probably write in another star who plays like a vengeful conehead that had that like I don't know dated Primat before she met Beldar or something. Like they'd get like 
another SNL alum. Dana Carvey or yeah, something. Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, they set that up. Like when she's talking to Connie, yeah, she's like, yeah. oh, you know, I love someone before your father, but he died. Hey, you're he, right. He didn't die. He would, actually, yeah. he would actually invade Earth and yeah. then like Beldar uh, would have to like All right, bring in someone from not from SNL. From that time period. Yeah. Jeff Goldblum. So it's 1995. So Jim Carrey's way too big. Outside of SNL, Mel Gibson. <laughs> 90s Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson putting on uh, alien. <laughs> oh my god, ah, uh, that's hard. 95. Like, who do you want to see play a conehead? I mean, they already got Phil Hartman. I know. Tom Hanks. He's too good for that by 90. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, he's oh he's too expensive. He'd fucking rock at it though. <laughs> he would. He'd have a great time, but they I, couldn't afford it. I don't want it, but I bet they. I bet Tim Allen. Mm, yeah, uh, that he wouldn't do a great no, job. No, 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 no. Who do I want to see? <laughs> yeah, like, who do you? you... Uh, Steve Martin could land this. Oh, and yeah, get yeah, it. yeah. Mm. Oh, what about a? I mean, it's so that's that's within the SNL right. sphere. That's, this is so. That's why he'd get. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. Outside of SNL, it's too obvious. But John Lithgow, right? Damn, that's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, Damn. I mean, yeah. he did the fucking thing. It's the show. Yeah, he's the third rock from the sun. joke. Yeah, it is kind of. It even has like the daughter dating like a big dude who's like clearly Not, out of her. It's life. really the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think some of the some people behind the scenes worked on it, and uh, the the writers. I looked it up. There's like a husband and wife team who yeah. who wrote for SNL around this, uh, like from '86 to '93 yeah. or. Something. I think they wrote the Wayne's World movie. Probably, yeah. yeah. They wrote a bunch of um, SNL movies, I think, and yeah. ended up working on. Uh, they Third ended Rock. up creating Third Rock yep. from the Sun after this, and that '70s show. Ah. Oh. Which is fine. <laughs> I mean, good for them. They must be rolling in. Topher Grace is good on that show. I mean, the cast of that show yeah. is good. You know, the I whole like... cast are all good people. All of them. Yes. <laughs> of modest means. Have you seen the apology video from Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher's yeah, house? Yeah. Mm. They have. Have you seen this? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They 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 have their modest modesty corner on their property, so they can look poor if they need to. Yeah. Every celebrity has that. Oh my god, it disgusts me. <laughs> it bothers me so much. A All modesty right. corner is something that an alien would have, no, not a listen, normal. Listen, when you've punked as many people as Ashton Kutcher, you have to live in seclusion. Have you seen that video? Last Ashton Kutcher thing. Have you seen that video resurfacing? It was when he used to have that dumb show punked. And it's just a clip going around of Ashton Kutcher talking about how he can't wait for the Olsen twins to turn 18. It's like on like TV. He's literally talking about how he wants to sleep with a teenager, mm-hmm. two teenagers. That was a extremely Common. normalized. I know, but then. like, yeah, I'm not defending it. I'm, I'm vomiting. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But like, uh, when, my point being it resurfaced in that, in the same breath as, Hey, uh, apparently Aston Kutcher wrote a uh, letter defending Danny Masterson yeah, that he yeah, sent yeah. to a judge to try and get him off the hook for those awful, awful things he did. And then people were trying to go, oh, Aston Kutcher's not that bad. He was just defending a friend. Counterpoint. Here he is making money off of joking about how he wants to commit statutory. Rape. All right. Well, listen, <laughs> To go back, John Lithgow <laughs> would be a great cone man. He'd be the best. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, they would probably bring in some Star Trek people just for the gag. Of oh, like, fucking. Can you imagine um, Patrick Stewart? Patrick Stewart. That's my pick. Patrick Stewart as like. Oh, as a cone head. Yes. The cone head with his yeah, shit together. Yeah, he's in the Paramount house. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. So get he's Patrick Stewart as, as someone. Yeah. Because I can imagine him like intimidating. Father-in-law. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Father-in-law or father. Yeah. It would be yes. father-in-law. Father-in-law. No, no. I'm thinking like he's her old boyfriend and he's like way more high status than Beldar and Beldar is like, nah, you know? Yeah. He, he is he, about their age. He's not like older than Dan Aykroyd. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> he just looks it because he's bald. He might yeah. be younger than Dan Aykroyd. He could be. 
Um, you want me uh, to you know, put I've... a cone on my head? <laughs> <laughs> another. All right, here's another pitch. Completely different sequel. Um, we open with we go to France, and it's it's just a lot like we go from it's from you know from Chevy Chase vacation. We go to European vacation. They they for the first act, we have a bunch of sight gags where they go to France and England and things. Yeah, they eat toilet paper from the other side of the aisle or something. I don't know. Um, and then they find out they get a distress signal that Remilac has been destroyed, and the surviving you know refugees oh. Clark and Kalel style. And the plot becomes they need to help acclimate all these other folks. And everyone, like, he becomes an unlikely ruler, leader, not ruler. It's Smallville leader. season nine, which no one's going to get that <laughs> reference. But that's the all entire right, plot. All right, but hear this. Yeah. All right, but the, the craft has, has crash landed in Africa. So the Coneheads must go to Africa. Sorry. Shitty sequels always... <laughs> <laughs> but you would can you see that that's that's a trailer I, I, line we will go to france yeah that's france. that's the first and it it goes really I can fast see them though being like we got to still do the same government plot like the americans had their chance now it's interpol's job to like, yeah. catch the code <laughs> rowan atkinson <laughs> yeah <laughs> who is very much not french <laughs> But fuck it. Fake the accent. If, remember, who's, remember, I don't know who played him, but uh, the Brad Byrne Mission Impossible movie. They have the the French uh, constable guy that's like trying to hunt down Ethan Hunt the whole movie. Yeah, yeah, it'd be that shit. Which is, yeah. I, I always thought was fucking funny. Um, is this one of the best Dan Aykroyd movies? Uh, yeah. I've, I still need to, to see Blues Brothers. Oh, dude! I know, I know. Yeah, I know. It's great. Um, Ghostbusters, one and two. I still haven't. Seen, yeah, it's one of the better ones. Like, how many Dan Aykroyd movies are there? Well, it's better than Evolution. Woof. I mean, <laughs> that's that's barely like, like Dan Aykroyd. He's movies. a supporting. He's a ca- borderline cameo, if not even. Yeah, more cameo <laughs> than supporting character. <laughs> you got uh, uh, Doctor Detroit. Uh, I wanted to bring up Doctor Detroit. Uh, uh, great theme song. Trading places. Boys. Um, trading places mm. for people. Uh, uh, I, spies I don't like, like yeah. us. Um, he's got he's got some. I mean, Dragnet. Uh, it's funny life. he's either, and yes, nothing but trouble. It's he's rarely a leading man. I think about Dragnet, him and Tom Hanks, Spies Like Us, him and Chevy Chase. What's that movie where he's like wearing S and M stuff with Rosie O'Donnell? Oh my God, it's got Dana Delaney in it, uh, and Tom Arnold. No, him, Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. You said it. <laughs> uh, it's East of Eden or a playoff. Oh of yeah, that. I think that's yeah. yeah. Um, Dan Aykroyd movies. <clears throat> Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. That doesn't count. Uh, My Girl, Dragnet, uh, Nothing But Trouble, The Great Outdoors. A lot oh. of people like that movie. <laughs> what was Driving Miss Daisy. Driving Miss Daisy, Oscar nominated for it. Twilight I, Zone, I the movie. I need to watch that movie. I need mm. to check this Dan Aykroyd Oscar nominated performance out because wow. Yeah, you got a kid on the Dan Aykroyd good movie train. Yeah. yeah Blues so. Brothers, that one. Blues Brothers 2000. <laughs> Not good. No. Um, I put this, I, I, I think this is... Um, it's almost in the upper echelon in that I do think it's an acquired taste. Right? I think it's top of the mid. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's top good. of the mid is a good place to put it. And it definitely lets Dan Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd out yeah. more than uh, most roles would ever allow him to. That, that's kind of the strength of the movie is like it's there's no point in watering Dan down that much. There's like because when you do that, you end up with stuff like, you know, like training places. Have you seen training places once? Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah. Have you seen it, Ryan? Oh, yeah. It's all right. Uh, he's got the, he and Eddie both have like incredibly funny beats, but it is a lot. It's, it's, it's edited slowly and it's kind of mean at times. And, 
Uh, but that's like what I was afraid of this was going to be. And it wasn't. It's not. It's got style for days, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. This is a good, like, um, illustration of, like, where comedy was 10 years prior, uh, which often included Richard Pryor. Um, but, it, like... It never gets uncomfortably horny the way a lot of the old com- com- comedies just do. It gets horny, but it's more about it's, this is what it's like for them to be horny. Right. Well, it, we're it's, moving, moving... Like, the, the further we move away from Animal House and, like, that aesthetic and, like, finally finding, like, the 90s tone yeah. to it, which is, Wayne's I think, World. Wayne's World. It's the fact that there's, like, a bunch of, like, high school, like, youth culture stuff in this movie. And there's, like, Red Hot Chili Peppers on the soundtrack. Um, uh, it's just, like... It's softer. It's softer. It feels like something you'd rent this in, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and have a great <laughs> night. <laughs> yeah. Great movie. Yeah. I stand by that damn movie. Me too. Me too. <laughs> you'd appreciate this, Neil. Uh, speaking of Paul Rubens, mm-hmm. I was listening to an interview with uh, Bill Burr yesterday. And he was talking about his film career with somebody. And uh, they were just going like, it's incredible. You're like, you're like part of Star Wars now. You're part of this now. <laughs> and like and Bill Burr goes, you have to understand it's right place, right time. I'm, I'm not a real actor. And every time I'm on set and I'm looking around and I'm seeing these big name actors and I'm seeing Boba Fett, all I'm thinking is like paging Mr. Herman. Like that, <laughs> yeah. he cited that as like his level of acting ability. And I thought it was very sweet that that's what, that's Bill Burr's uh, go-to reference. <laughs> Um, that does remind me, uh, I'll do a belated media current here, but uh, a few weeks ago I did, <laughs> I did see Pee Wee's Big Adventure in, uh, at the Somerville theater. Yeah, it was awesome. And I took yeah. my daughter Yep. and, uh, you, it was, I was there too. You were there. I took you. <laughs> I, I was there too. And Dan. Yeah. Sorry, Ryan. You weren't invited. That's all right. <laughs> Bet, uh, Betty came along. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, um. Uh, it was so fun to watch that like next to a five-year-old who could handle it. And um, she and I were laughing like idiots. That oh, so good. <laughs> yeah. And she likes, st- she's still like referencing things in that movie to me. The movie's, the movie's, heart. it's in that same curve as like a quality Muppet movie. Like just like the casting, like you have to get actors like, listen, this isn't about you improving your demo reel. This isn't about you getting your next role. You're here to be a clown. You're here to be like, a guy, a jailbird. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you're a living cartoon. Can you give me that? And the special sauce has to be Phil Hartman. Cause he, he wrote Pee Wee's big adventure. Hell yeah. And he's in this, he's in Coneheads a bunch. And yeah. uh, I feel like he was probably good friends with all these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's missed. Oh, hell yeah. I, I would say Phil Hartman is like the first celebrity death that like really bothered me. That like really bummed me out. <laughs> The princess died and nothing. Fe- no. <laughs> she didn't. Candle in the wind is about her. She didn't do a voice on the Simpsons. <laughs> People think candle in the wind is about her, but it's actually about doing heroin. <laughs> made that joke many times before. <laughs> it's a good joke. It's a really good joke. And it seems to me you lived your life like a lot of heroin. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Rocket man. <laughs> Looking through other Dan Aykroyd movies, uh, he's not in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, he's got that tight. Oh. Wait, no, he's in uh, Temple, Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom, yeah. Sneakers, Crossroads. Oh, Sneakers is oh, good. He's really good in Gross Point Blank too. I never saw that. Me neither. You've never I believe seen? you. Oh, that's no. a, that's that's pretty good. I, I feel like th- there's some male gay yeah. stuff that dates it, but that's Mini Driver, John Cusack. He's like Hitman, High School Reunion. Dan Aykroyd's the bad guy. 
It's good. <laughs> cool. Is yeah. the crossroads cool. he's in? Is he Britney Spears's father? No boyfriend. That? Yeah, father. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but is it that crossroads? The Britney Spears one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never Crazy. saw it, but yeah, you I know. stay away from those crossroads, Britney. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think you'd like sneakers. You got to watch sneakers. Sometime. I do got to watch yeah, sneakers. Yeah. yeah. I can't believe you. Not to. Be, I hate to. I hate it when people do this, but I can't believe you've never seen Blues Brothers. I know. It's great. I, I saw it for the first it's time just, in college. It's, just one of those, it's like a long movie, right? Uh, it, it can be. It's. I mean, it's dry. Uh, let's see. Two hours. It's probably, I love it. It's, I love Blues yeah, Brothers. Yeah, I grew up with that movie. Great I, musical cameos. Great. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. that honestly don't slow it down. Speaking of Dan Aykroyd doing music, uh, one final thing we have to talk about re- relevant to the movie is. Oh Jesus. The, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's it called? Conan, Conan Love. love. Which is the, I think it's the second song that plays over the credits. A little treat for those who stayed in their seats. Uh, it's Jane Curtin and Dan Aykroyd singing in character. Um, about fucking. About fucking. It's a horny conehead song. Um, they're singing about their senso rings and don't want to hone my cone alone. <laughs> it's kind of. That's all it's got going on. Stick, You've heard the song. Yeah. Uh, stick to the blues, Dan. <laughs> So I me think of Pink Floyd. Hey, teacher, leave my cone alone. It does like, sound like that. Yeah, it's the same melody. <laughs> All I am is just a, another cone in the wall. Look this up. It looks like there was like a special in 1993 that MTV aired. Where Maybe. B- or Bill Beldar and Primat were talking about music they like. That's, that's, that's I, could, I could not find the special, though. So I think maybe their introduction is just uh, baked into the music video. <laughs> Because uh, the music video doesn't have any clips from the movie, does it? It's them in costume and everything. No, yeah. it has more clips from Star Trek. Yeah, it, <laughs> uses, right. it uses effects from Star Trek because Paramount owned owned both, and it's uh, it's the two of them. They're doing they do like two other music video parodies, and it's of old music videos at that point. Uh, Robert <laughs> Palmer and ZZ Top. Yep, as Coneheads. There's a there's a great. I'm reading <laughs> articles from 1993 reviews, and one was like Coneheads goes from pothead sketch to SNL kid film. Uh, Conad's fit for parental units. <laughs> it's interesting. It's interesting that um, that was the big concern. Was like, is this going to be okay for kids? Because Wayne's World, Wayne's World, I haven't watched it in a beat, but it feels kid friendly. Because like Wayne and uh, uh, Tia Kara, Garth, no, okay, <laughs> Sandra, yeah. they um, they never. I think they like kind of famously don't kiss in that movie. Right? I mean, there's a scene with him in the bed. Yeah, but, they, mean, but they're not like doing anything. No, but you see his dick through the underwear. He's wearing like really tight Tommy anyway. pickles. Yeah, yeah. He, he humps the mummy. Yeah. Uh, that movie, but like that is like definitely like a, at least in my household they let us watch it and it's, same. Yeah. Um, it's not as horny as Austin Powers. But it doesn't get that, or even it is, Coneheads. It is interesting <laughs> that the boomers of the time associated Coneheads with like the the pothead '70s days and like the counterculture SNL. Yeah. And it was like probably just like vexing them in the nineties to see it like go Hollywood. Sure. Dan Aykroyd sold out. <laughs> right. <laughs> but as I, I have no, I have no particular love for the, uh, the sketch version of the Coneheads. Um, and this is helmed by like the, the better SNL crew, like the writers from 86 and, and all like Kevin Nealon and all those folks. Sure. Sure. Um, but the music video is is, is kind of garbage, but it's like oh, it's gar- yeah. very quaint in that like everything had to have a music video uh, era of MTV mattering. Yep, sure. There's a it's there's a bunch of parodies of other videos in it. And... Uh, there's two parodies. Oh, there's a, there's at least three. There's um, the ZZ Top one. 
Robert Palmer. Robert Palmer, born in the USA. Oh, right. Yeah, born yeah, in the USA. USA. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's the opening joke. <laughs> and he turns around and he's got the bad teeth and everybody screams. It's funny. It is, it is funny. <laughs> yeah. He pulls his jeans down to show his nipples on his ass. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I have a button for that. <laughs> <laughs> I never have to say it again. Nice. <laughs> Thank God. All right. Uh, can we close up shop here? Can we yes. Can we move on? Yeah. Let's move on to questions from patrons. It'll be real great. Every episode of Guaranteed Audio, we take questions from patrons over at guaranteedaudio.com or guaranteedvideo.com, whichever one's working. I guess last night, guaranteedvideo.com wasn't forwarding for like five minutes. I got a few people tweeting me about it. Sorry. They, uh, I'm tech support, I guess. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, so we just take questions over there, and we gave everyone over at guaranteedvideo.com a heads up that we'd be talking about Coneheads and to give us questions for the episode, and not a single question we got is about <laughs> Coneheads. So I guess we got our pick of the litter. Um, uh, Mackenzie the Oaks asks, uh, I've been saving this question for a while. If you could create one extremely weirdly specific pinball machine, just like those old licensed ones, what would it be? And happy holidays. Hey, happy holidays to you, Mackenzie. Happy holidays. We're all thinking of conehead, uh, a conehead pinball, right? Right? <laughs> I mean, a little bit. So are the cones the flippers or are they the... The cones would be the flippers, but oh, I am imagining the ball, the ball. Like a, a cone-shaped ball. It doesn't work very well. It's a sensor ring. Chris Farley's crappy car would be part of it. Yeah. You can... <laughs> Narf the Garflack! Right, that, yeah, that's that'd be, be like, like, like the bonus, and like yep. a couple three Ooh, in a yeah. row, the Garflack would come up. It's just, oh my god, like the big middle part could be um, it opens up to Dan Aykroyd's like frightening three layers of spike teeth. Ooh, <laughs> I like that. Right, cool. uh, a little <laughs> more reserved. All right, yeah. a little more respectable. I'm thinking of a, a fugitive uh, based. <laughs> pinball game. Like Tommy Lee Jones, yeah, I don't Tommy care. Lee, but okay. They got okay. their license for Tommy Lee Jones, but not Harrison Ford. So yeah. the, big, <laughs> the artwork on the marquee is like a silhouette of Harrison Ford with his hands up. And the but you get of, a really good look at Tommy Lee yeah. Jones. I mean, like, <laughs> and the sound effect of I don't care, like plays way too much. <laughs> I don't care. I don't it's care. also I, like, I, 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 crunch to hell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like, you know, there's little like um, tunnels, like, you know, like water tunnels mm -hmm. for the ball to go out. The water, the ball like gets held up at the end of the water tunnel. There's a prosthetic arm that grabs the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You see, like, your multiplier come up, then it releases the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> your flipper is a one-armed man? Huh? Your yeah, flipper is yeah, a one-armed man? Are, exactly. <laughs> one-armed man and, like, a false nose. A little uh, prison bus that crashes. I haven't okay, even here. seen this movie, and I get all these references. I've got an idea. I still haven't seen The Fugitive. I've been trying to for years, and I can never get anyone to watch right. it with me. I'll watch The here, Fugitive. Here's an actual intellectual property that I don't think will ever get translated to a pinball machine unless someone wants to make it. Uh, the, the idea is out there for you. Crowdfund, GoFundMe, go to town. This idea is open to the world. <laughs> if you're stand, by the way, Ryan is standing up wearing a, like a suit blazer and gesticulating wildly. He's actually correct. Shark tank it's right really now. good. Yeah. yeah, very Shark Tank. Michael Douglas and Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction. Mm, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, the I will not be ignored. It plays again, uh, when you get like <laughs> the big points. <laughs> um, the dead, the rabbit. The dead rabbit boiling in the pot. Oh, That's Jesus. like a whole thing in the middle. Yeah. Um, a big part of it is cheating on your wife. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Michael Douglas like goes to a thing in the city. Um, they acknowledge like the weird racist uh, relationships with the Japanese in the eighties. Um, Michael Douglas somehow not only gets away with cheating but gets rewarded for um killing a woman. <laughs> um, yeah. Fatal attraction. 
is exactly the type of intellectual property that no one would ever look at and go Whoa. pinball. They made a TV that show and out of it. Basic Instinct. Get that one in there too. Ooh, it's got the legs on crossing. <laughs> <laughs> Sherry Stone's legs akimbo. That's the bottom yeah. of the pool. <laughs> I could just picture someone at like Data East pitching that and going, well, you got a better idea? All right. Well, I'm not investing. Okay. Yeah, we are so think... old, by the way. <laughs> One came to mind that I'm like, this is the perfect pinball machine. Mm-hmm. Inspector Gadget. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh good Lord. I don't think oh, I don't so think one exists. fucking obvious. Yeah. It, but has it been done? I don't think it has. Whoa, do I we mean good? I don't know if like... Animated or Matthew Brown. I'm talking about animated. I'm okay. Talking I think about, yeah. the, like, the closest it would have come would have been the Disney uh, live Yeah, if they did make one, and it would have been that. I want to say, I don't think Disney licenses pinball machines. I, I can't think of any. No, I can't think of any. Yeah, you're right. They... Dorks. But just like you, you know, you put the coin in, and it's like I'm always on the case, and then like the ball comes out, and Doctor Claw. Yeah, oh, that Doctor... writes. It writes a set. That's so fantastic. Much and everything could just be whimsical and weird and extend and that thing propel. would suck to repair. Yeah. Question. <laughs> question number two. Good. Elbow Davy asks, "Merry Christmas." My question is, what are the most underrated and overrated Christmas movies and specials, in your opinion? Is there an overrated Christmas movie? Mm. Um, like, uh, I. I'm not a big fan of the Santa Claus. You mean Tim Allen Santa movie? Claus? Yeah. I saw it in theaters. I don't know. It's fine. When it was new? But yeah, like, probably. Why, there Do should... enough people care about that movie? Dude, there's been a like lot. several sequels. There's a current yeah. TV show being made as we speak. Straight to Disney Plus, right? right? Yeah, but still, that's like, that might, that's just, No, that's wow. still big. I'm I not... didn't mind the first one, but I never thought it was like some grand... I, I can name an underrated Christmas movie. Okay. Ernest Saves Christmas, you motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Honestly, the other day, Stacy and I were like flipping through YouTube stuff, and I was watching the, the scene where Ernest picks up the Christmas tree off the highway. Yeah. It's good. It is good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you didn't rate it high enough. <laughs> we, there's too many good ones. I know, I guess. <laughs> um, what's an overrated one? Because um, most of the hits, really, it's so much Christmas content gets made every year to this day and it's so hard for anything new to like stick to yeah. the canon charlie brown christmas is as is not overrated it really is good it opens sad it ends sad the yeah. grinch there's a uh i'm, I'm kind of tired of like die hard as a christmas movie it's uh, like yeah, yeah yeah i had i had a rant about that last night like right? stacy mentioned to her friends a few, a few of her friends that we were we, we just saw Die Hard and like a few of them made jokes about being a Christmas movie and in the car I'm like I don't want to spend any oxygen on this I'm so sick of this joke I was literally talking with you about how much I love Die Hard I but love- it's a movie you can watch any time yeah. of year it's there's there's nothing particularly Christmassy about it it's bullshit really, listen to me it, except in terms of setting I disagree. I mean, there's a little bit of like family stuff, yeah. like in, in terms of themes, not so much. My favorite stuff in that movie, the older I get, is the marriage on the rocks, the estranged husband wife, and her wanting John to spend the night with her and the kids so they can wake up and have Christmas together. Yeah. And the whole movie is him atoning for being an asshole in that argument earlier on to prove to her. That he's that you know that you know that they're they're still yeah. a couple and yeah. the whole denial of the name her uh, her maiden name on the door, uh, the watch gift she gets from the other guy mm-hmm. that she literally breaks off to kill Gruber. You know what I'm saying? Like there's I could point to a million things like no this is about like the family unit on Christmas mattering. He's got the big bear. Like it's 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 not that I think it's 
there's no snow in it, and Santa well, doesn't actually, show up. Well, actually, you know up. what? There is a little bit of snow at the very end. Yeah, yeah, the... and the cocaine. Yeah, no, well, <laughs> not the cocaine. But the ending shot is like all the paper. I've never understood the foundation of that joke. I'm like, maybe, I, maybe I'm too blunt skilled to understand. Like, but it's clearly it takes place at Christmas. What are we even debating? You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, no, I'm, I'm saying that like I, I don't feel that it is a Christmas movie. Uh, like it, it's set at Christmas. There is a bit of a Christmas theme to it, yeah. but that's like, like very low on the on the the list of descriptors you'd use for that movie. It's become a meme unto itself, and it it was a it was a tired joke a decade ago. Seriously, that's the thing that gets me, and why I get so hopped up about. Like I've been hearing this for like twenty years. Yeah, we all know he says ho ho ho. So so I'll throw one out there, kind of in the same vein. I love this movie, Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm. I don't like it as a Christmas movie. I no, hate seeing Jack ho- Skellington. Yeah on lawns at Christmas in the Santa outfit, it's a Halloween movie. It Yes, it takes place at Christmas, but there is nothing, there's no Christmas spirit, like to what Kevin was trying to get at about like yeah. the themes of Christmas or how you interpret Christmas. Yeah. None of that's really there. It's it's like, yes, how does Jack Skellington interpret Christmas? He interprets it as Halloween. It kind of plays up. It's more about the chip on the shoulder that Halloween fanatics have, that Halloween isn't considered as big a deal as Christmas, mm-hmm. I think. And you know, here I in the Northeast, I think that's, it is true, we but fucking like, kill it at Halloween. That's Tim Burton to a T, right? Like, come on, yeah. Halloween's as cool as Christmas, right? You, oh, yeah. But you can like, be happy. That, you don't yeah. need to be Christmas. You're your own thing. Look, there's plenty of people who feel that way, but in 1993, it was pretty much just Tim Burton grinding yes. the axe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think an overrated Christmas movie, Elf. I was yeah. gonna say Elf because again, it's so hard for we think about the canon, a Christmas story, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, Charlie Brown, Home Grinch, Alone, Home Alone. Yeah. It's so hard for the hundreds of Christmas movies and specials that just come like out every year, just like music. Yep, so few really stick. And to me, Elf is the last thing that's become like people's annual week. If it's Christmas, we have to watch Elf. You're taking, not, dude, I, I know what you mean. Right, you're like, saying word for word what I said about a week ago. I came home and Elf was on, and I said, "Do you think this is the last time?" one of these stuck because I can't think of a song that stuck, but elf 2002, 2000. I saw it in the, I saw it in high school in theaters, 2003. I like elf. I watched it with, uh, with the family, uh, recently for the first time in a long time. And yeah. It's like, I do appreciate like, yeah, they don't make this kind of movie anymore and it is not, uh, the most Will Ferrell. It's not the, it's like before Will Ferrell, like got to be too much. Well, he and John Favreau fought a ton making that movie. Interesting. Cause Will Ferrell was trying to, you know, scream. That was his joke. Yeah. Yeah. You know, John Favreau's like, no, I want to make a sincere mm-hmm. movie here. You know, it's yeah. not the best. And I, I do agree. It's like, it's overplayed. Yeah. It's like, it gets too, it gets more credit than it deserves, but it isn't, it's not, it's not a bad movie. I, I feel like, I feel like in the last 10 years, Christmas vacations, like been allowed into the, the top of the, it's had a second wind it's in its own way. People, yeah, you're people, right. People yeah. are kind of like, Oh wait, this is like probably I, I home alone. Um, I didn't realize how detested Home Alone was when it came out. And I love revisiting that hysterical Siskel and Ebert review of Home Alone 3. Have you seen this? No, go on. Oh, my God. It's, oh, you sent it like dude, to it, me and Anthony the other it's day. It's so fucking funny. I, whenever Gene Siskel is in the right, you it, it just highlights how good a talker Ebert is versus Siskel. I, I'm, I'm not trying to throw shade at Gene Siskel. <laughs> But I think you know most people re- remember Ebert more fondly than Siskel. Uh, than Siskel. So whenever, yeah. so whenever I see Gene Siskel is just like objectively correct in an argument, and he always looks—it's it, hysterical to me because he always looks so flustered, so confused. He has like 15 seconds to get his like barbs in, 
and it's it, the Home Alone 3 review, Ebert says, this is the first good one. It's way better than the first two. And Gene Siskel is like literally adjusting in his seat, like furrowing his brow, like, How? what? And he really thinks he's fucking with him, like talking about it. And like halfway through their spat, You mean without John Williams' moves, music, it got better? What are you? Yeah. He says, this kid's way better than Macaulay Culkin. Uh, and then Siskel goes, you don't even know the kid's name. <laughs> <laughs> And he says, like, oh, that's great. And Gene Siskel, that my favorite bit is what point Siskel says something on the lines of, like, I don't understand what mood you're in. And uh, Gene uh, Ebert says, Well, I'm gonna, I'm probably in as just as good a mood as you were when you gave Starship Troopers a good review. And Siskel goes, Starship Troopers is a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Look it up, it's great. Yeah, it's, I will, just, oh, for, for a serious underrated uh, comment, and it's not really underrated by people of our generation, I think it's gotten a lot of love recently, but Muppet Christmas Carol. Hell yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's been kind of re. Uh, I feel like there's been room made at the table for that one. I feel this is a weird one. The Garfield Christmas special is I love like the, that one. Yeah, it's the only Garfield thing I really like, and it's it's good. It's got like one or two really good jokes in the first fifteen minutes, and then it just it just gives you the haymaker with the grandpa stuff. Yep, you're like, oh, this is actually what it feels like to be an adult around Christmas. You know, it's that we were talking about it earlier in the car. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I think Ooh, another uh, underrated one, um, like maybe not amongst like people of our mindset or friend group, but like Scrooged, I don't think has like the same mass appeal. It's mm-hmm. I, Scrooged a, is yeah. I can't tell if I think it's great or not. That was I think it was the first movie Ryan Neal and I watched together. It was that Creep Show? Oh, right around the same time. We I watched Creep Show, and then I think we watched Scrooge shortly after. I I mean Scrooge should be. Uh, there's parts of Scrooge that are phenomenal, um, but you can tell Bill Murray and Richard Donner didn't. Like Will Ferrell and John Favreau. Yeah, I I like Scrooge, yeah. but if I pause it, I might not return with that night. You right. know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's got John Glover, man. It's got that amazing ghost of Christmas future. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bobcat Goldthwait. He's wonderful. Yeah. Buster Poindexter. Karen, Karen Allen's okay. perfect. Yeah, yeah, but she's the perfect like. If you're gonna do, if you're gonna do the male gaze, like who is the perfect woman to be the one that got away when you're like 40 years old? Karen Allen. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. Uh, that, that's one that I feel like the jury's still kind of out on, right? Yeah. Like, there, there's, are there any Christmas movies? I, 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 I've, this might be heresy. I've never been blown away by a Christmas story. I, I, I think it's fine. I don't know if I've ever watched it all the way through as a single film, you know? It's just on TV. It's, yeah, never there, stuck you, with there it, you yeah. go. Exactly. It, I would argue that they actually kind of oversaturated it at a time and place where cable was on in homes I was either visiting or in, and today, if something's on the screen I don't like, I change it. <laughs> I had it on VHS growing up. My dad made me watch all those Gene Shepard movies. We we're actually kind of talking about it before yes. we started, so I won't rehash that. Is, is um <laughs> Jingle All the Way? Jingle All the Way. I like. I Jingle just watched underrated. that last night. Underrated, right? I, I had a great time. Sinbad it's is hilarious it's in really that movie. Funny. Another Sinbad. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sinbad. I haven't watched it in a long time. Sinbad's Sinbad. great in it. Phil Hartman's good in it. Mm. Um, Phil Hartman. Yeah. There you another know. thing they do is very similar to Coneheads. They never draw attention to Arnold's accent or anything. His name well, is Howard Langsley. He's a Midwestern. That's kind of a running thing in most Matt. Arnold movies. Yeah, I know. Just but my like, favorite customer. Overrated. <laughs> overrated. Uh, the Jim Carrey Grinch. Fuck. I, I, I didn't sucks. see that movie. I didn't see that movie all the way through until a couple of years ago. Ryan and I got together. I had just gotten through a breakup and I wanted to watch something dumb. So we watched The Grinch and the second Matrix movie. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here's a movie that is correctly rated. Jack Frost, 1998. Michael, Michael Keaton. Keaton. What's the, there you go. That's yeah, it's bad, right? It's bad, and everyone knows. Yeah. 
Michael Keaton and a George Clooney snowman. <laughs> Do you all know the story about that? Yeah. It's supposed to be a George Clooney movie, yeah. so the snowman looks like George Clooney and not Michael Keaton, which is kind of funny. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> Batman and Batman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Are we reanimating that snowman? Absolutely not. Oh, fuck. We're not putting another penny into that thing. Uh, okay. Uh, I'll do question one more question. The third. Third question. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the cat's sneaking. Uh, I'm just trying to like find a quick one. Oh, yeah, I, okay. You know, I'm a, uh, okay. Third and final question. Kiri Stone asks, did I already do a Kiri Stone question? Sorry. Hold on. Uh, doesn't ring a bell. A jingle bell. <clears throat> Third question from Kiri Stone. Uh, the Coneheads movie. It's oddly not the worst movie to come out of the SNL post Wayne's world movie rush. What do you think are the best and worst movies born from that? And seriously, how awesome are Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin? Um, yeah, Dan, Jane Curtin and Dan Aykroyd are two actors I would never have thought to pair together, but they're perfect in this. Um, I think. I he, mean, they're famously paired together, but yeah. because of yeah. this, yeah. But like, <laughs> well, they they hosted of, a weekend update too. Oh my god, yeah. I'm a fool. You're right, Jane. You ignorant slut. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> she must. Like, Battle <laughs> She must like working with Dan, right? I bet. Yeah. Like, like, um, she wants to get a lot of Julie Becker. Huh. You see it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Post Wayne's World, have I bought everyone enough time? What's I think worse I'm, is just it's Pat. Uh, it's yeah. Pat, is sure. it worse than Night at the Roxbury? I've that's, yes. yeah. It's bad. It's, that, they're both bad. I'd say I've never watched like, it's, it's Pat. Pat is probably the worst, and then Night at the Roxbury. Second. We could do a lot on it's now now while we the won't. character of <laughs> no. I'm never, while the I character who's obsessed with like show me what's in your pants yep. is villainized. It's Pat is as transphobic as a film could possibly get. Oh, sure. Stuart saves his not, family. I I'm I not remember defending. liking Stuart saves his family. Nobody knows about that movie. Yeah, um, I've never even heard of it. It's Pat. The, the the villain does corner Pat in a like a house of mirrors, which yep. is kind of funny. Um, all right, Blues Brothers two thousand. That's pretty bad. Uh, Was I, Superstar funner than I remember? I, I bet that I, I, bet it's fun like, I tried once. rewatching it a couple of years ago, and I got five minutes in and started fast forwarding and just turned it off. It's it's you know I I haven't seen a lot of these movies. I gotta say it's probably Night at the Roxbury just because Chris Kattan's in it. <laughs> you know it's you know it's an underrated. It's probably it, it honestly it's not quite Blues Brothers, but um it's better than Coneheads. I'd say MacGruber is an underappreciated. Is it? MacGruber's I, really good. MacGruber. People who like MacGruber, this is the thing that I, I've seen MacGruber a few times. I, I've loved it every time I've watched it. I found out recently uh, that Will Forte got paid like $12,000 <laughs> to be in that movie. And like, he puts it all out there, man. Like he's like, he, he does everything. He, he deserves more than he has. So but, we could afford Will Forte if we really put our yeah, work together. Yeah, you know? we could get Will Forte tonight. <laughs> um, no, watch watch MacGruber. MacGruber's fantastic. I will definitely try MacGruber too. sometime. Yeah, yeah uh, I, my favorite are, are Wayne's World and Wayne's World Two. I think I, they're pretty beloved. You know, here, here's oh, a, yeah, yeah. okay. Wayne's World Two. This has come up recently. Is Wayne's World? I, I I whenever I think of them, I think of them as equal, like lateral moves. Like, what are you in the mood for? One or two? Like, two's got the the love. Like the, the, uh, the romance plot with Garth and Rob uh, Lowe and yeah yeah no no that's one that's one that's, it, uh, Christopher Walkinson too it's a Ghostbusters oh, one and right, two thing right. where like I remember every, Thank you. every now and then with Neil he goes oh right that's Ghostbusters 2 yeah like it, like that happens sometimes with Wayne's World uh, but Wayne's World 2 I feel like I'm hearing more and more that people are like 
a little down on it. Like for I thought for the longest time it was kind of like equal. it's come up more than once. It, no, I, for real. Like when I brought it up with oh, like yeah. people like online and shit, it's like oh no, Wayne's World Two is can't hold. I feel like candle. we just talked about this. Like I feel like we just talked ago. about it. Yeah, yeah. Is, is Wayne's World Two good? It's it's serviceable. When I think of something, I'm I'm certain Robert Patrick as the T1000 is in two. Correct? Yes, that's okay. in two. Yes. Is is the actor at the convenience store being replaced by Charlton Heston in one? That's in two. That's in two. Okay. Jesus. So two's got There's some... a lot of good stuff in two. I just think from like... Uh, I, I'm gonna... One's a more complete movie. Yeah, one's more complete movie. The other one's a lot more, I'd say, sketches. And then like they had to tie the plot together, so, those sketches somehow together. So they kind of rehashed a lot of the plot and then sure. threw in the uh, festival. And it's not just like Austin Powers one and two where it really is beat for beat the same movie. They, they are different... I mean, uh, yeah, they're different enough. Like Garth has more to do in two, and, and that's kind of why I I'll go watch two. Is it's I'm really kind of watching the Garth scene. Um, also, what's his name is in it from The Simpsons? Harry Shear is in it as oh, right. uh, Handsome Dan. Uh, <laughs> handsome Dan, who's Harry Shear and not handsome at all, but he's got that voice. <laughs> Wayne's World One has the uh, scene where they have the corporatized version of the Wayne's World theme song. That's kind of <laughs> under- <laughs> Wayne's World. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm looking at the Rotten Tomato scores for every SNL movie. It's Pat, 0%. <laughs> Neither Roxbury, 11. Ladies Man, 11. Oh, Ladies Man. See, you're right. I love Tim Meadows, but I feel like that's too much of a... That's not enough of a skit to, to land a movie. It's was not. Was that Tim Meadows? I thought that was... Uh... Yeah, it's Tim Meadows. Yeah, it's Tim okay. Meadows. Yeah. It's been a second since Magru- I've seen MacGruber has only got 47%, which is... But bonus. you know what? Year did that come out? It might have just been too far removed from the heyday of Wendy's, 20. which was the 90s. Yeah. Um, MacGruber's 2010. I, I, again, I can see MacGruber being really funny and released at the wrong time. Wayne's World or Blues Brothers? What, Blues Brothers is the better movie, right? Well, the question Probably. was post Wayne's World. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, oh, post- but like, yeah, Blues oh, Brothers oh, right, is the right, best right. of all of them. But, it, it's yeah. got. I think, it's kind of the only one pre Wayne's World. Yeah. <laughs> it is the only. Yep. I, I would love to watch Blues Brothers with you, Neil, because there's there's some there's some just astoundingly funny beats that. Make, that being said, I've only watched it once all the way through. I watched it in college and it is hard to go back to. It is over two hours. Yeah. I wonder how this question would work if you opened it up to include movies that aren't based on a sketch, but like are clearly like a bunch of SNL people. Austin Powers. Austin Powers. Yeah. I mean like Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nothing but trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Anyway, uh, good question. Really good question. Merry Christmas. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Last question. All right. It's from Martin. Stacy, what are you doing? (laughs) <laughs> I know, but we're recording a podcast. You keep making very loud noises. So at first, I thought you were like standing up at one point. Yeah. All right. Uh, last question from Martin. The last question is from Martin. Martin says, It's midnight. All of you are stuck in a cabin in the middle of the woods, and the undead are trying to eat you. What's your plan? There is lumberjack gear, building materials, and torches. Suicide. <laughs> Problem solved. Yeah, there's no winning there, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Do we Homer and Mr. Burns it and make a rocket cabin? <laughs> we build real men out of snow. Uh, I think um, uh, save your strength. Wait till they're all on one side of the cabin. Run away in the opposite direction, and just uh, you know that's a take an axe. Take an no, the just like just outrun windows, them. Right? These are uh, a traditional slow zombies. Yeah. You're a human being. Like one of our great evolutionary traits is uh, endurance running. So just do that. <laughs> this is also life re- finds a way. 
This is right. not some 28 days later shit where they can run yeah. or something like Walking Dead where I guess they never decompose. You wait them out. No, I mean, a yeah. week and a half tops. Just wait, don't, don't, wear, not... don't wear heels and you're fine. I didn't know you were a 28 days later guy. I, I love... Oh, I love 28 days later, but running zombies, get the fuck out of here. How, why, are, why are you in better shape than the living? No. <laughs> Well, they weren't zombies in 28 Days Later. They were humans who got infected with it, just that a, is, a, they a neurological infected. disease. Monkey Madness. Yeah. <laughs> the original <laughs> title of 28 Days Later. Yeah. Monkey um, Madness. I mean, I would just try to do what they did. Billy and Murphy. <laughs> I mean, I'd probably... Shaun of the Dead strategy? No, not Shaun of the... I mean, Night of the Living Dead, where he's like, we're just going to the basement and board up, and hopefully they don't come <laughs> down here. And it, it would have worked if they weren't racist. Have, <laughs> have you ever seen The Birds? Yeah. The End of the Birds is very... Like proto zombie movie, I I, I, ne- I never realized that because I, I I didn't see it till a couple of years ago. And I was really into the yeah ending in a of way. It. Yeah, I totally yeah I can see that. I love the end of that movie. Uh, not a zombie movie. Uh, yeah, my suicide would be finding the loudest means to play thriller, possibly. <laughs> you want to mock them? No, and like just like just like embrace it. Yeah, like that's a hell of a way to die, man. Yeah, <laughs> like like just like literally playing thriller and like letting them break the door down and get me. I just thought of a terrible way to go. We we well, accidentally you don't want them to get you though. You want to take yourself out so you don't become a zombie. Why? I'll be dead. Well, it depends. <laughs> what if it's, it's like, like when you and I have had the debate about what what you, like having funerals, and I was like, we were talking about like how some people do open casket and cremation and all that, and you were like, who cares what you do? You're dead. <laughs> it's this well, question. Right, so, so think of um, uh, Return of the Living Dead. It's kind of implied that like the the zombies are conscious and that they're. Oh, they're the miserable, dead. or no? Well, maybe that too. I You're was, talking about the one where they like they talk to it on the table. Yeah, yeah, and it's like I'm in pain. You know, it's just like it's like a fate worse than death. I, I'm more of a Raccoon City guy. <laughs> Like, like you're just brain dead. Fodder. So you think, like, yeah, it's just it's lights out. Your body may live on doing zombie shit. Unless Ryan, how would you commit suicide? But you're just watching, laughing from heaven. Is that? Yeah. Cool. Well, honestly, what I'm be a great story. <laughs> be a good pickup line. What I'm heaven. picturing right now line in is we have a one cell phone hooked up to a portable battery charge or something. That's this blaring thriller. It is the best sound system we have available in a cabin in the woods. We tried to make a fire. But the flu of the chimney is all gunked up, so we're all just laying there, lifeless in the floor, while there's but from carbon monoxide poisoning, and we have accidentally done ourselves in the silent killer. Whereas all the zombies, basically between sunlight and fresh air, are gone, and we would have been fine with like an open window and a little common sense. Uh, and somebody finds their body, just blare like we are more disgusting than the zombies when they find what's left of us while playing through It's just can pumping. Someone, someone took a note. The playlist has continued and it's playing like Jackson 5 songs or just like <laughs> just Tito Jackson. Just a little bit of you every day. Sometimes I feel I've got to. Uh, uh. <laughs> what, uh, that was undignified. Neil, Neil, you got a pen and paper out. Take a note that we need to uh, do a zombie sketch that ends with the sun coming out and the zombies relenting and hissing like vampires. <laughs> It just seems like yeah. someone should have done it. The, uh, zombies can't be out during the day. It says yeah. fucking who? They get really dry. <laughs> they get tired. <laughs> oh, those are great questions. Some of them were even about the Coneheads. I didn't notice until the end. Uh, thanks, everybody, for writing in. This is a long episode. I'm going to try and edit very little of it out. Uh, it's a good episode. Yeah. yeah. I think we have three hours of audio to start with. <laughs> Ryan, what did you say earlier? Uh, crackless nippled ass yeah yeah that was the... could you say it again while david spade is kissing those crackless nippled asses <laughs>